Thanks for taking the time to download this BBC Radio 5 Live podcast. To search for other podcasts you might like, click bbc.co.uk slash 5 Live, where you'll also find our terms of use. Oi, Mark. Oi, Simon. Oi, Oi, Mark. My voice has gone a little bit like yours. What's up? A what's up? And? A what's up? The worst job I ever had was breathing in this dry air that has made my voice go a little bit Derek and Clive. Breathing in dry air. What you... I don't know what it is. I was I was I was at Latitude uh, Festival over the weekend, interviewing I... yourself by the look of it. I did. I did two. I did one which was an interview with Ken Loach, in which I stepped back and let Coach let do... Ken be Ken. Let Ken do um, what we like to refer to as a partly political broadcast. Speaking of that, by the way, yes. I nearly spilt my tea over Jeremy Corbyn today. He was up at Radio Two, right? And I was getting uh, a green tea bag and putting some hot water on it, and I turned round and. Uh, I nearly stumbled into Mr. Corbyn. Well, which would have been an interesting moment. News story. Uh, it would have been a news story. Yeah. But Ken Loach did this. Ken Loach's new film, I Daniel Blake, which won the Palm Door, and I've said I I really like it. I think it's great. Did you really like it? No, I did really like it, and I was kind of surprised by how much Pat, I did. This is the green tea that I. Ne- this is the, the green, green tea that you nearly ne- spilled on. Went you could. Mr. You could, you could wife, I'm yeah. sure you could put that on um, uh, eBay or whatever it's called. Anyway, uh, so I did an on stage with him. There was two things that he did was very funny. One of them was, of course, you know, being Ken, he does, you know, Ken has his politics and that's fine and that's, you know, his space and he's perfectly allowed to do that. So at one point he said, well, my feeling about this is the Labour... And then he turned to me and he went, am I allowed to do this? And I went, Ken, it's your stage, you do what you want. Like, I'm, like, I'm going to try and stop Ken Loach from doing what he does. And then he did his partly political broadcast. And then he did it, He did this talk. He's great. He's really engaging and really, you know, and, and he has made brilliant films. And I really like him as a filmmaker. Then there was this moment, there was an audience Q&A and Ken did his thing and he says the things that he thinks and the things that he believes. And then somebody asked a question and he went, OK, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to be completely partisan about this. As, what, opposed, like, to... as opposed to the last 90 minutes when you've been really had, I... broadly balanced. I had to stop Ken being Ken. Do you remember when you came in? And yes, you that was it. That... We, we were doing a conversation about whether it's only the upper class who can swear in movies. Yeah, this was in relation to... King's uh, Speech, wasn't it? No. Well, it was, but it was in, in, in terms of his, it was Sweet 16, wasn't it? Because he had made a movie in which the C word was used several times. And the film had got um, uh, a very high class. I think it had got an 18 classification as a result of the, the language. And honestly, I, I sound like the DJ in Night Rhythms. Uh, and, um, uh, and he was arguing that similar language had been passed at a much lower rating by, uh, in, in, for example, the King's Speech. And the BBFC's response to that was that it was to do with the way the language was used. Um, that they were saying that in that particular sequence in the King's Speech in which Colin Firth's king is trying to overcome his stutter by walking around the room swearing, using the F word, um, that there is nothing aggressive about it, that he's not saying it to no. anyone. Um, and it, it provoked a lot of debate, but what what I think the moment you're referring to is that, is that Ken Loach said, and we have to say this, and you went, no, we don't. Please don't. <laughs> Please don't, because, you know, we all knew no. what you know. We all, yeah. we all knew. What I don't. Th- I don't think he was actually going to say the say the word because he's I he's think he he, was. But, well. He he think yeah. He is such a lovely bloke. He's such a kind of gentle and polite person. But I just remember the look of panic on your face when he said, "Now we have to we have to address it. We have to say what this is." And he went, "Please don't." No, absolutely. This is by the way the warm up waffle section. Uh, warm up waffle. This is as, as copyright. The Times who, who voted us best 
thing. Best thing, Evs. Best thing about podcasts, and we... it was it, what, what was slightly weird about it was because um, it was tw- it, firstly I I found out about it because somebody tweeted me a picture because I I, I presume it's behind a it's behind a paywall or something. And so you, I got you know somebody tweeted me a picture, and of course I was find it quite hard to read the text at first of what it was. But I think it was a piece which was the best podcasts of the summer, something like that. But remember, Wittertainment is for life, not yeah. just the summer. But on the cruise, it's particularly summerful, and I think have you, have you got everything for the cruise? By the way, do you have everything? Because you know it, it leaves like in a week and a bit. I haven't had all the jabs done yet, but that's because you were spectacularly unclear about whether or not we are going to that particular... Well, Jason Statham has said it's OK. Yeah, but he, so Jason Statham's indestructible. Anyway, but... there's, there's, that, there's that movie that Jason Statham was making when he saved the entire cast by leap, by diving. Because he was a champion diver before he was a champion top actor. He was a champion diver. And there was a thing where the truck went into the water and Jason Statham, you know, and Sylvester Stallone said afterwards, you know, I can't do stuff. Well, well, the plan is that we were going to reconstruct that scene as part of the cruise. But I don't, you know, so we have to be quite careful about all that. But anyway, thank you very much, everyone who sent in, you know, precisely where we have to be. We will get to all the embarkation points. Is that what it's called? Yeah. And then we, have you had your jabs? Yes, I've had them. Yeah. Did you? Did it? It didn't make you feel in the slightest bit queasy. Well, you know, I have an arm, a slightly tender ha- arm. Okay. But you know, everything else is going to be fine. Okay. Who is steering the boat, by the way, this year? Well, Statham. I mean, no, that... he's not. He's not steering the boat. He's not doing that. No, well, no. Sorry. Well, so didn't didn't Liam Neeson organise somebody to do it? Okay, or is he not coming now? Robin, can you organise another meeting, please? He's not listening. No, it's, just, it's just bureaucracy gone mad. All the time. Uh, Sue in Southampton. Who, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Afternoon, chaps. Uh, I am used to the strange parallel universe that we members of the church inhabit. He's never touched me personally until this week. My day off in the week is a Monday. So this is usually when I catch up with the podcast. This week I was lounging in the garden in the sun. That's nice. Enjoying the late arrival of summer. And I'd listened with interest to the chap who had turned on the radio at the exact moment, this is from last week, Yeah, that he had got to in his listening of the previous podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah, which was really weird. I thoroughly enjoyed the show. Then, once I completed my catch-up, the cats decided it was time for dinner. So I returned to the house, walked into the kitchen, and turned on the radio to listen to Simon on Radio 2 as we prepared our meals. Imagine the creepy factor turned up to 11 as Dreamweaver by Gary Wright came drifting out of my radio right at that moment, which we'd obviously been talking about last week, having been discussed at the end of the podcast that I had only just turned off. The world actually tilted and I suddenly felt the stars align. I know that it was only last week, but as they say, what are the chances? I hadn't felt so peculiar since the time I saw Mark in real life when I was on a day trip to the New Forest and I was too shy to say anything as I didn't want to be annoying. But I did drop my... Anyway, you're not meant to feed the wildlife, so... I did drop my scone. (laughs) That's a very new forest. Can we have a warning, please, when you're going to cross the streams, as I hope that other listeners also heard this. It's true, I mean, we we played it because of the BFG, because it's obviously a great kind of BFG oldie to play. No, no, we didn't play it because of that. No, I did on on the Radio 2 thing. Right, but but didn't we... We we played it here because it it turns up in a film. Yeah, a film it does. It turned up in Ice Age... Five or whatever it's whatever part Correct. we're at now. Uh, Nick in Wrexham, 
In response to the general... By the way, can I just say thank you to... I've had so many people doing that. I love the way you interrupt yourself in sentences. Hello to Jason Isaacs thing. Yeah. So many, so So many many. people this week just sort of wandering up and just... So I said, yeah, okay, I'll pass it on. So in case I forget... Yes. I have many, and whenever they say hello to Jason Isaacs, I always say... I've got a a thing from Jason. Carry on. I've I've literally got a message in this morning from him. So carry on. I'll just read it. Well, this is the bit I'm going to read out, which you won't be listening to then, because you'll be looking... No, I'm listening. I just don't know whether it's it's broadcastable or whether it's, you know... In response to the gentleman, in fact, this is Nick in Wrexham, who found that his podcast and live listening had perfectly synced. I would like to add my own WTD, which is a Wittertainment Time Displacement Story. Mm, I'm listening. Mm. Entertainment time displacement story. This has happened on two separate occasions, which I understand is enough to make it eligible for scientific causality analysis. Thank you. My usual routine for listening to the show is Friday evening on a bimble through the North Wales countryside. On a what? A bimble. I imagine that just means just a a bumble. A journey kind of thing. Okay. But it does say bimble. Through the North Wales countryside. However, a couple of months back, the podcast was delayed. Therefore, I didn't get to listen to it until the next day. During this day's walk, Simon did a time check, which, to my amazement, was the exact time for me on the Saturday. Purely coincidence, you say. However, fast forward a couple of weeks, and I, for reasons, missed my Friday routine. Again, enjoyed the podcast on the Saturday, which again perfectly synced with the podcast time check. From curing of diseases to now displacing time and reality, you really are the doctors. It's all getting Although through. apparently my I'm a film critic, not a time lord, according to Wikipedia, has now gone is now got its own entry or something. I want to play you something. Do you? Yeah, I want to play you this. There is absolutely no way that Donald Trump is all going right. to get the Republican candidacy. Put your house on it now. It is not going to happen. Right. A lot of people have. have been holding that in their hearts mm. and and remembering it and thinking I'm going to bring that line out yep. when I hear this news. Donald Trump says crime and violence would come to an end in America if he were made president. He's formally accepted the Republican nomination at the party's convention in Cleveland, Ohio. Can I ask you a question? Okay. And it goes like this. Which thing are you more pleased or displeased about the fact that I was wrong. I mean, spectacularly wrong. No, I'm looking... no hang on. Wait. Okay. <laughs> Are you more pleased or displeased about the fact that I was spectacularly wrong or that Donald Trump has indeed got the nomination? I don't have opinions on things. That's like why that. I'm, that's why I'm asking you. So you have no opinion on the outcome, which indeed I would always like editorial do... reasons, nor do I, but, um, my ability. What, what, I would always like you to be correct because the Mystic Mark feature is a good one. No, but the Mystic Mark feature was proved to be nonsense very, very early. I, here's, I mean, no. My, well, my question to you is: How wrong no, is it possible no, to no, be? No, no. I, None more wrong. I wonder if it's actually not. That's not Donald Trump. You think? Yeah, I wonder if it's someone else. Who? I'm trying. I'm trying to get you out of a sticky situation. You can't. You can't. I mean, I. I it's. It's the, the. 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 I've got. You know that. You remember when I when I reviewed uh, Mamma Mia, and I said there's a moment in it when you suddenly go. I've gone through the looking glass. Left is right. You know everything's up to the world's turned upside down. Suddenly I'm. I'm listening to Piers Brosnan and I'm going with this. I do feel like I have gone through the looking glass. I absolutely one hundred percent. Totally and utterly, to do a spitting image voice, uh, was convinced that the position that we are now in, not just on this particular area, but on several areas, 
that have recently been in the uh, political sphere would never happen. So what are we to make of that? I, I don't know anything at all, that I am genuinely as wrong as wrong can be. But is everything going to be all right? Who knows? You're drifting. You're like... Uh, you're, uh... Well, you, but you're just you're like a cork on the ocean. You're just taunting me. I mean, of course... Uh, Whither the wind bloweth. No, not with the wind. But of course I believe fundamentally that everything is going to be all right because it's part of the core of who I am. Have, you, I, have you read The Dead Zone by Stephen King? Yes. Well, that. Was that ever a movie? Of course it was a movie with Christopher Walken. Oh, that's right, that's right, it was. Yeah. And the, the lovely thing about that movie was that um, David Cronenberg said... I'm increasingly looking like him, by the way. Not really. Mm-hmm. David Cronenberg said that um, that the Dead Zone was the one that all the people that don't like David Cronenberg movies would come up to him and go, "I love the Dead Zone," and it was that thing about if um, if uh, if the, what the, the, the phrase was, if The Shining is a Stephen King movie for people who don't like Stephen King, then The Dead Zone is a Stephen King David Cronenberg movie for people who don't like Stephen King or David Cronenberg. Well, I like Stephen King and David Cronenberg, and I like The Dead Zone. The film or the book? Both. Yeah. But I, book- I, I think the book, I think the film's really good. I still think that, that, that King's best work is, I mean, I love the novel of Carrie. I think that is a fantastic piece of writing. I love the short story collections, which have, many of which have provided his, his greatest, um, you know, movie adaptations. Uh, I, I do remember reading uh, The Shining and thinking it was page turning, but then like you know, reading Firestarter and thinking that the pages were turning a little bit more slowly. Twisted Firestarter. I'm a Firestarter. Yeah, that was right. He he he. The stand was the was. Uh, just... the, the stand was reissued in like a in a in a director's it's cut. The wasn't size it? of a house. Yes, it is the length of the apocalypse, as far as I understand. Um, the mist. The mist is arguably one of the great the great 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 Stephen King adaptations, screen adaptations. A bit bleak. Yeah, but didn't didn't you love it? Didn't you think, no, wow, I can't believe they actually... I mean, Frank Darabont, God bless him, yes, having but made Shawshank see, Redemption. Yeah, so we see Stephen King and Frank Darabont on the on the label, and we, we go, think oh, that's going to be and, okay. And, we, and, and we, guess we, what? It's yeah, not. Exactly. And therefore, in answer to your question, you know, is it all going to be all right? No. Right? You see, exactly, <laughs> it's going to be the mist. If it's the mist, we might as well all give up now. But if it's... If it's the mist in black and white, even more so. So if it's the mist, no. But if it's Shawshank Redemption, then yes. Yes. From the the same author. I mean, I have to say, I think there's going to be a lot of Shawshank before the redemption. But but there is a redemption. Yes! I mean... No, sorry, there's so much doubt in that. Just a quickie here. Bridget and Simon in Reading. Uh, I'm uh, and Bridget at the end of time this is Bridget right I met Simon online I like to tell people that I bought him on a river based online store and I immediately knew he was the one where on our first date his comment about flappy hands opened up a bonding over a love of movies and wittertainment the podcast has, has become essential listening for life after two years together we bought our first uh, home named uh, yeah, we bought our first home together last year. I rehearsed this and listened to the podcast <laughs> while putting up curtain poles and assembling amusingly Scandinavian-named flat pack furniture. A couple of weeks, we're going to be listening again as we drive down to Cornwall, which we thought was a more than original choice than Gretna Green for our elopement. The venue of our nuptials won our hearts by suggesting that after the wedding, they would set up an open-air cinema in the gardens for us. Right. So we can relax and watch the movie of our choice. 
or in the village hall if wet. There will only be the two of us in attendance, so we don't have anyone else to please, but we'd like our first movie as newlyweds to be a special one. Yes. Because I'm a crier, honestly, I cry at adverts, I'm hoping for something not too schmaltzy, as I don't want to drop mascara on my frock. Simon's first choice of Team America didn't seem particularly appropriate <laughs> for the occasion. So my question, therefore, it, what is the perfect first movie to see as newlyweds? And it, and it can't be a cry. One. Can't be a cry, and it's just them. Open air cinema. I think I'm going for the road. Why? Because after why that, are you going for the road? Because after that, everything is going to be better, and everything oh, will right, be that's fine. Like, right. So that's like saying, well, you should watch War of the Roses because then you'll think, well, whatever, whatever's happening, we're getting on better than no, no, the apartment. Well, why don't you? Okay, look, we look, we've got to start. We've got to. We'll come back to. We'll gonna, I'm going to come back to this, Bridget and Simon. Okay, you're going to put your email over there. Okay, and then you could the apartment, and then maybe something else. Okay. Okay. All right, that's fine with me. Meantime, on with the show. It's amazing. So we're here, and it's on the radio, and so this everything. this is actually going out live now, is it? It's, I mean, my, it's live streamed and everything. So there's no need for my time lord abilities. Absolutely none. Which is a merciful release. Uh, we've got a splendid or couple of everyone. hours. Yeah, I think so. So Matt Damon is going to be on. Matt Damon is going to be on the show. That's Matt Damon. Matt Damon with his good friend Paul, Paul Greengrass. Greengrass. Your good friend Paul Greengrass. Our good friend Paul Greengrass. Yes, and they're going to be talking about the new Bourne film, which is a very, very exciting thing. I saw Paul about six months ago, and he knew exactly when the movie was going to come out, and I was worried for a moment that we would miss the review slot because <laughs> of holidays. Well, we are going to miss the review slot. No, well, the re- well uh, here we are. We could, we're not reviewing it this week. It's a, you've no, seen that. I'm, 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 I'm going to go and see it in the cinema next week, so yeah. we are going to miss the review slot, but I'm, we're going to get your thoughts. I'm going to talk then, around it. And then the... Um, yeah, because I think you're probably not allowed to... I can uh, talk around Can you make a gesture? Just tell me uh, thumbs up or thumbs down. Oh, okay. No, I can't because, because we're live streamed. Be picked up. Okay, fine. Just, just look at me. Look at me in the eyes. Well, that's going to be picked up. N- well, not. They won't have the super bond that we have. That I can tell what you think. Okay. Just, just take your glasses off. No. All right. Fine. Well, how, how, how's taking my glasses off going to help anything? I'm and then write... I can look into your soul. I'm going gonna... I'm gonna to write you a note. Oh, what? And they won't pick that up on the camera. No, it's not. Oh, I see. Thank you. Okay, fine, good. Passing notes. Harsh but fair. That's not harsh. No, no, I know, it's a joke. I was trying to, you know... But now people might take that the wrong way. No, I know, no, but it, it was a joke, clearly. What anyway, you, I'm going to... can't say that you... I'm okay. sure that you say in the interview what you think of it. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm going... Uh, it opens Wednesday. I'm going to the public screening in, in, uh, in Cornwall. I'm sure it's going to be packed. Amy Walker... Uh, BA Honours Geography and Development University of Sussex as of 10 minutes ago Yes I write to you having just finished my graduation ceremony I was at a graduation ceremony this week of Child 2 and uh, down yes. in Bristol That's and- right because I, I know that because uh, Mark Goodyear was on the radio You know, the, and, the, and the strangest thing is that we bumped into uh, Mark's Child 2 down there as well so my <laughs> Child 2 said to his Child 2 your dad's on my show <laughs> Oh yeah that's right Anyway, it was it was a very exciting. It's because it's the season of graduation ceremonies and yeah. posing in gowns. Yes, how was it? Was it good? It was it was a fabulous thing. And there's nothing like drama students graduating. They love it. Oh really? Put on a gown, give them was a. There's lots of swishing. Hello, it's just like was in it? Divergent. Yeah, okay, fine. It's like the hey, we're here. Hey. Swish, look at our mortarboards. <laughs> Check out my gown. Look at my honours. <laughs> Anyway, Amy Walker, (laughs) I write to having just finished my graduation ceremony at the Brighton Pavilion, presented by the Chancellor of the University, Sanjeev Bhaskar. 
Yes, who's fantastic. To let you know of the greeting extended by him to Jason Isaacs. In his opening remarks, Sanjeev said hello to the esteemed actor to rapturous applause from the devoted Wittetainees in the audience. He then proceeded to hug. This is, get this. Okay, so I got a, uh, I had a judge gave me mine and we shook hands and he said congratulations, well done, and he sounded as though he meant it and it was and it was great. And the the chancellor on Wednesday was was terrific and she was a judge and, and she was great. This is Sanjeev. Yeah, Sanjeev then proceeded to hug every graduand as they came onto the stage and gave a humbling and inspiring speech on the importance of love and compassion in all that we do. So thank you, he to Sanjeev, rules, he? for all that and for appreciating my wittertainment reference during our embrace. <laughs> and hello to Jason. Isn't that great? That's so Sanjeev fantastic. is your chancellor. Sanjeev gives you your degree and as you embrace, because he's just fantastic. told you about love and humility, you say hello to Jason Isaacs. I think I want to go to that university now, <laughs> just to study, just so that Sanjeev hugs me. <laughs> um, I think Sanjeev will hug you anyway. Do you think? Well, you're doctored up anyway. You can't get any oh, more. that's right. You that's can't right. get any more doctored than you are. Jack, age 15, in Cambridge. Good afternoon, Mark and Simon. Been a fan of your show for two years. On your show this afternoon, could you give a shout-out to my grandmother, who is 100 years old today? So, Jack Carter, 15 years old, to your grandma, happy birthday. Happy birthday. And it's all going to be do, do, okay. Do, I, I'm correcting this. You become mom immediately at 100, don't you? Yeah, I think so. And, and you get a, a seat in the House of Lords. That's and you, the one. You yeah. just turn up. Congratulations, mom. Um, Uncle D has uh, has sent us an email. We'll do the top ten in just a moment, by the way. Not if the not if the, the time's run down is anything to go by. This is the warm-up waffle and it can last no. as long as it wants. I wonder if I could ask for a very special it will be all right in the end from Mark for my beloved nephew. Yes. I have a number of nieces and nephews. Obviously, I don't have a favourite, as all good uncles love all of their nieces and nephews equally. The same. My nieces and nephews may have a favourite uncle. I couldn't possibly come. <laughs> there is one of my nephews who is also a member of the church, which obviously means that we do have a special connection. But I did mention that I don't have a favourite. The best part of our family's annual summer holiday get-together is when he comes and joins me to do the washing up and we perform a Les Mis medley. <laughs> wow. As happens to most nice people at some point, my nephew has had his heart broken. I'm not supposed to know that he is still upset, but I am his uncle and uncles know things. He doesn't want his uncle to give him any sage advice or comfort, but he might take it from Mark. Please could you reassure him that it will be all right in the end, would adding, and if it isn't all right, it isn't the end, yes. be a little too much. Anyway, please don't mention my full name, as he might not want his mates to know all about this. But you could just say, it's Uncle D. Yeah. So, uh, Mark, what, so what is, what is your oh, personalised no, message to fine. Uncle D's nephew? In this particular case, believe me, it will, not only will it all be all right in the end, but it will all be, all be better in the end, because at some point you will be having a conversation with somebody else and you'll go... You know, everything that got me to this point was good. So we're quite happy about extending those kind of messages when it comes to relationships. It's just the global international politics thing where that is kind of like... There appear to not... be glitches in the Matrix at the moment that I don't fully understand. Yes. Let that be our our motto for the next few years. I'd like to thank Shelley and Neil from whom I ripped that off incidentally. Box office top ten. Here we go. Conjuring two, the Enfield case is at ten. It's too Hollywoody and it needs to be more Enfieldy. Independence Day resurgence is at number nine. I had a conversation with David Arnold uh, just oh, the other day because check yeah. you out the David Arnold. Yeah, the David Arnold. Well, he, he came. He, I was doing a thing and he was on it. And he was on the thing and he played that song. He played you you know, doing a thing without me. I do a thing every month without you at the... Do you? Yes, I do. Okay, fair enough. 
you, you know, you can always come, but oh no, you can't. You're no, you're on. No, you're not on air by the time. Oh, you might be on air. Anyway, go on, David. Arnold, anyway, yeah. so David Arnold and I did, did mention to him that the, the thing that, that Independence Day two resurgence was sorely lacking was a bit more David Arnold. Uh, Central Intelligence is at number eight. I laughed, and it was funny because I didn't expect to laugh anything like as much as I did, but it was just, it looked on paper like it wasn't going to be great. And then I started chuckling right at the beginning, passed the six laughs test, absolutely no trouble whatsoever. And then I watched the whole of the rest of the film with a silly giggle, and I really enjoyed it. Now You See Me too. is it number seven? <sighs> Magic on screen. It's a difficult one. You did a, the interview with uh, Jesse Eisenberg. Who I did. I, I have to like say, much. during that interview, he did sound like he was doing a man doing an impression of Jesse Eisenberg. That is just him. Man. I know, it's but no, but it wasn't just him, was it? He was like Jesse Eisenberg turned up to 11. He was like doing, doing the full Jesse Eisenberg, which I can't do, obviously. Um, now You See Me Too makes no sense whatsoever. There is a central sequence in it, which is to do with some card play the passing of cards between these the, the, our central team, who are sort of a strange uh, sort of undercover secret thing, but actually they're all magicians and they, they uncover corruption through magic tricks. And the, the central setup is that the particular thing that they have to get happens to be the same shape as a card, so they can pass it between them. And although that sequence was passingly fun, the whole of the rest of it is like going, well... You're not the magic tricks don't really work on the screen, do they? I mean, it's not it's not without certain pleasures. I I I kind of enjoyed it up to a point, but it is total 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 nonsense. That, but that can be that could be a good thing. Well, you enjoy going to see total nonsense. Yeah, I mean, it was it was it was perfectly it was. I mean, it didn't offend me in any way whatsoever. I wanted I wanted it to be a little more ripping, and because the problem is, it's not the Prestige. And every moment I thought of the Prestige, I did keep thinking, I wish I was watching the Prestige. Have you seen the Prestige? Yes. Isn't that actually the best Nolan film? No. Oh, okay. What is? No. Well, I would say Inception, uh, Batman. Um, really? Yes. What better than the Prestige? Yes. Okay. I would say Inception and Interstellar and Batman. More than the Prestige. Yeah, I like the Prestige very much. However, that's just what I'm saying. No, that's fine. I mean, I, a difference of opinion is a great and wonderful thing. Dirty Dancing, Secret Cinema is at number six. Well, I've, seen, a... I've seen Dirty Dancing, but I haven't seen the Secret Cinema version of it. So you have a correspondent. Tommy in Finsbury had. Park. Uh, last weekend, my much better half took me to the latest Secret Cinema, Dirty Dancing. I'd never seen the picture before, but it's really absolute you... all-time favourite. How can you have not seen Dirty Dancing? So away we went. I, it was tremendous fun. We were transported back to the early 60s American holiday camp and lived it up accordingly. There was dancing, scene recreation, performances, live music and so on and so on. But the real pleasure came from being there with my significant other. Yes. She's not a devotee of pop culture, movies or anything like that. Dirty Dancing, though, was the exception. She loves that movie and to watch it with her surrounded by thousands of other fans was a truly wonderful experience. She laughed, she cried, she reminisced, she danced, she was happy. Really, really happy. It was a joy to behold. It summarised what cinema can and should be about, making people giddy with joy. I loved every minute of it. And as I said, I've never seen it before. It was brilliant fun, recommended to all. There's a lovely, uh, and I can't remember which film it's in, in which there's a, a man and a woman and they're having a conversation and they're shocked about how much they've got in common. And they're doing that thing where they're both saying the same, yeah, I love that and I love that and I love that and I love that. And then they, they both go, and, and that Patrick Swayze movie, yes, I love that Patrick Swayze movie too. And they both say simultaneously, she says Dirty Dancing and he says Roadhouse.
which is good. Which is it's all in the road timing. Roadhouse is great. Yeah, it's all in the timing, but difficult to say. Difficult to put. I know. I know. So obviously, I was explaining the joke rather than recreating the joke. Uh, you can re- create it at home in your, you know, in your own environment. Ab Fab, the movie is it thing? Is it number five? Uh, it's. <clears throat> It's okay. Uh, it's very, very baggy, and it looks like it, you know, is one episode stretched over a feature length, which is a shame. However, there is so much residual goodwill toward those characters, and uh, some of the jokes are really sharp, and some of the jokes are really funny. I think Joanna Lumley is terrific in it. I just think the film itself is 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 baggy and requires an awful lot of goodwill and I don't think the celebrity cameos help but as we've said every week since it came out that's a bit rich coming from me The Legend of Tarzan is at number four I was asked about this this morning um as I was going through uh, security um, at, a, at a at a transport depot and uh, somebody said Legend of Tarzan you know in a sentence and I found it quite hard in a sentence to go well there are things in it that are kind of enjoyable, yeah, but you've done it in a word. If you, well, well that's it. That's we you know, what a transport depot. What were you catching? A train, a plane, an automobile? I was flying. You were flying, flying. But I was. Okay. But you remember the aeroplane station thing, which was one <laughs> so of my. Favorite. I can't ever say airport on the on the air anymore because all I can think of is aeroplane station. Pete McKelvey. Um, I had the opportunity to take a, a rare trip to the cinema this week and went with a friend to see T Lot. Legend. Oh, the legend of Tarzan, T-Lot. I'm afraid T-Lot. I must take issue with, with one of Mark's comments. He asserted okay. that Alexander Skarsgård acts with his abs, yes. and they're the most interesting part of his performance. I must disagree. I think his pecs did the best work, okay. closely followed by his knuckles. <laughs> Skarsgård does his very best to wrestle the title of dullest on, on-screen hero from the clutches of Orlando Bland, who has considerable <laughs> experience in this area, and he may indeed have su- su- succeeded. Robbie and Jackson do a sterling job of keeping the audience interested in the dynamic of the central threesome, and the CGI vistas look incredible, but thanks mostly to the pretty cringy script, they're not enough to raise this movie from the mediocre. He he, he is a bit planky, isn't he, Scott? It says God. something about the story when the most amusing moment of the film involved the arranging of cutlery on a plate. <laughs> Uh, Stephen, but that's but that's the thing which um, you know Christoph Waltz does is he eats in a sinister fashion. One of the things that he no does. he does many things, but it's like you know that because because he does that in Inglorious Ahem, doesn't he? Stephen Arian in Birmingham. I know Mark's usual stance for most films these days is that they could stand to lose thirty to forty minutes. Sorry, Tarzan is one hour fifty, but for me, I thought it could have benefited from an extra thirty or forty minutes. Okay. Uh, in brackets, waiting for Mark to say hmm or no. Disappointingly, Stephen, he said okay. Okay. There I'm, was, I'm, I'm experimenting with agreeing with people. There was so much stuff to pack into the film. Origin story, current status quo as Lord Greystoke, inciting incident that kicked off the whole adventure, that at times the film felt choppy, like a vinyl record skipping between songs. I like that comparison. It was as if sometimes in their rush to keep the runtime down and not remove any elements of the story, they just kept cutting scenes in the editing room, not worrying too much about consistency. Interesting. Um... No, I, I, I mean, I think they, I think they were fundamental, and we do know that obviously the films are made in the editing room. But I think the thing with that film is that there were fundamental script problems with it. Um, I'm not, I'm, you know, I've only seen that one version, but it did seem to me, and yeah, I think you had the same feeling that it was like two or three different movies pulling in different directions. I know for for a fact because you said it that you were concerned about the opening, which you felt seemed to be from a different movie. Uh, yes, I felt it was an uncomfortable 
uh, match combination yeah. of, of trying to tackle slavery and contemporary issues and putting it into the Tarzan story. And particularly when the Tarzan story actually at times looked like a Spider-Man movie. Uh, number two is Ice Age Collision Course. You're not doing Secret Life of Pets. Have you got Number three is that? the Secret, Secret Life, Life of Pets. Pets. Num- yeah, go on. No, no, Secret Life just... of Pets. Yeah, I like all the stuff Fine. when they just... Ice Age Collision Course is at number two. James Den says took the children to see some Friday evening. It's obviously silly, but the children laughed all the way through, so the film delivered exactly what was expected. Okay. Yeah, we've got five minutes to talk about Ghostbusters. Good. And frankly, from the correspondence, we, we need add, more. The whole that we, we can need do a more Ghostbusters special. But anyway, Ghostbusters yes. is the UK's number number one. one. Shall yeah. I go first? Yes, of or course. Do you want to go first? No, no, you go first. I mean, I reviewed it and I said that. Well, okay, I'll go first. So I reviewed it and my feeling was. It, it, although it, I laughed and although there were there are things in it that I think, um, you know, are, are, are entertaining, I think that you have to you have to be clear that it is structurally all over the shop. There's it is, in my opinion, a movie in which there is much to like and uh, performances that I enjoyed. However, it do, it doesn't hold together as a sort of coherent piece of work. And there, I mean, like the whole why is the end in the 1970s? I still have yet to have a good answer to that. However, there is, you cannot get away from the fact that having been released in the wake of the most unbelievable misogynist trolling, which has recently turned into racist trolling, um, it's uh, the film itself is much better than any of those people uh, ever predicted. It's just that it's not. It's not great. It's just okay. I wanted it to be better, but I liked it enough. So, uh, well, we've got piles and piles of this, but let's Go ahead. just do a, a random sum. Yes. Simon Gallagher, after Mark's dismissal of all pre-criticism of the new Ghostbusters as sexist women-hating, okay, f- then okay, you, I feel the need to write in and defend myself and many others. While I'm willing to admit that a minority of the pre-criticism was indeed misogyny, most of it were simply people who loved the original franchise and after seeing the trailers for the new film decided it looked awful. Despite my fears, I went to see the film at my local view and my fears were indeed confirmed. The leads are not funny. Leslie Smith is just annoying. And for Jones. all the sounds of... Jones. Sorry, I'm just reading out what yeah. exactly as it is here. Go ahead. For all the sexism against women leading up to the film, I have trouble with the way the film treats men. It seems really? to me that every male character in this film is either an idiot, like Chris Hemsworth's character, or a douchebag such as the mayor. And then there was the ending. It's not that I find all sexism towards men offensive, but why is a film created to push women in cinema so directed towards bashing men? Uh, it isn't. Um, to be absolutely clear about uh, the trolling issue, there are obviously some people who saw the Ghostbusters trailer in advance of the film and quite simply for no other reason than they didn't think the Ghostbusters trailer was funny, didn't like the Ghostbusters trailer. There was also a massive amount of misogynist trolling. After uh, so, Okay, so now Andrew Griffiths. After having seen the outpouring of vile misogynistic hatred for this film, I, like Mark, wanted it to be stellar. I didn't understand the bizarre reaction to it. We've seen no such reaction to Total Recall, the plethora of Spider-Men, Ocean's Eleven, etc. No, those films were judged based on their merit, for better or for worse. This film, I thought, was average. Something that was very watchable. Chris Hemsworth stole the show and Kate McKinnon's character, probably one of my favourite characters in recent memory. Which is odd, because actually I found the Kate McKinnon character... 
tr- uh, troublesome. I didn't find her anything like as funny as some other people did, but that's in personal opinion. Yeah. But despite overflowing with excellent chemistry and a surprising number of laugh-out-loud moments, particularly the meta-jokes regarding online comments, it didn't wow or impress the way I so wanted it to. Um... This from Jane. I went to see Ghostbusters with 12-year-old Kirsty and laughed so much I cried and was easily persuaded uh, to watch it immediately again. Coming out wow. to buy new tickets, drink coffee and then enjoy it from the very beginning. <laughs> Truly fun and I love the weird science one. Jane, uh, thank you very much. Have you ever have you ever gone to see a movie, like paid to see a movie, yeah. come out, paid money, gone straight back in again? Yes. What was the, What was that film? Young Frankenstein. Wow, yes. I, I went straight back in again, straight back in again, and just and laughed. But then, and actually, it's never let me down because I mean, I think you feel the same way. Young Frankenstein is one of the things that it's even funnier when you know the jokes. Igor, Froderick, oh, uh, Owen in Plymouth. Sorry, I'm just trying to find all this uh, stuff. Uh, Ghostbusters Two is the first film I remember going to see, and That's, wow, and I have a vivid memory of the screening room being decked out in cobwebs and recycled Halloween decorations. Therefore, despite my misgivings from the trailer, I owed it to my younger self to see this film and judge it fairly. From the opening scene, I knew I was in safe hands and the film continued to surpass my expectations at every step. The gags came thick and fast, even if some felt flat. The updates and twist on the original were great to see and nostalgia cash-ins were nicely interwoven with not in your face as much as the other remakes or reboots. That said, this film is not without flaws, but then again, neither were the first two all and all me and my eight-year-old self were very, very happy. I was talking to Hadley Freeman, uh, who wrote uh, Life Moves Pretty Fast, which is a really good read. And Hadley absolutely loves the original Ghostbusters. And she sh- uh, shares, I think, uh, my disappointments with, uh, with the new Ghostbusters. But also, uh, you think that, that part of that is because you wanted it to be better. And it is definitely the case that the first, like, you know, like many of those movies, the first Ghostbusters is, is not without flaws. However, I've said to her, because I haven't watched the, the original Ghostbusters for quite a while, I said to her, I said, you know, does it really still stand up that well? And she went, yeah, it really, really does. She's just even thinking about it made her start laughing. I think uh, we get what we get. I think what we're going to have to do is my my clock's broken anyway. But I think what we're going to come back to. So there is so much, so yeah. many people want to talk about. No, that's fine. And I'm 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 very very glad. I'm really you know I really do want to do that. And I just want to be absolutely clear yes. about this. Just you know, and to not have to labour the point. It is not the case that everyone who doesn't like Ghostbusters is a misogynist. It is not the case that everyone who didn't like the Ghostbusters trailer is a misogynist. It is, however, the case that a massive, massive amount of misogynist trolling has surrounded both the the trailer and the film. And I'm sorry... You, you know, I've had so much correspondence from trolls insisting that there are no trolls in the world. <sighs> Mark, you shouldn't read that. No, no, I know, I know. Never go, never go, never go below the line. Exactly. Because that way madness lies. And I, I, to quote, to quote uh, the great Father Merrin from The Exorcist, most important is the instruction not to engage the demon in conversation. Very good. Bear that in mind. Yes, thank you. And I've, that's it. At all times. Thank you. Uh, Steve, I love the show, Steve. This is Laura Payne, age 10. Hello, Oh, hello, hello to Laura. To... I thought you were saying hello to me then. No, I've been in the room with you for like over an hour. Laura's 10 years old. Like? Like completely just 10? Like totally? Yeah. Totes? And she sent me this email and she's like, uh, I'm a I'm a VSTL and an FTE. So that's a very, very short, short, very short term listener. Oh, very good. Recently, I've been to see Ghostbusters. The six laugh test was passed in the first 10 minutes and I couldn't stop chuckling the whole way through. 
I loved Holtzman, the crazy engineer, and thought her character really worked. I, I, I know many pe- many people do, and as Laura I said, that, 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 no, no, I'm not I'm not arguing with it. I haven't finished. No, I'm not arguing with the with the with the suggestion that Holtzman isn't funny. Well, yeah. as I said, the peculiar thing is that I didn't find that. But you're interrupting Laura. She's ten. No, I'm interrupting you. All right, carry on. I agree that the start was quite scary and children under eight might not like it. The effects were brilliantly done and were very effective. Overall, I really enjoyed it. Give a what's up to my brilliant mum and my brother Nathan Payne, a regular listener and emailer, for introducing me to the church. What's up to both of you and thank you very, very much for that very well-written and articulate uh, email, which just demonstrates that we have... All the more to worry about, but the fact that the, the younger generation are smarter than we are. I'm just gonna th- I, just, I just want to throw this <laughs> it's really in. Really scary. Just before we yeah. talk, born. Right. Oh yes, born. This yeah. is going to really test your broadcasting reflexes. I oh, haven't told you about this. Okay. All right. Uh, dear Cool and Runnings, normally I'd ask a film-based question, but I've got a more pressing query this week. Mark, how do you persuade a ten-year-old fox terrier puppy to sleep at night? <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Well, the answer is you just, just persuade a 10-year-old a fox terrier probably to sleep at night. Nice. Anyway, glad we were able to be of assistance on that. Is there any other help that you can give? No, what, what more help could you have than that? Just do that, yeah, OK. But thanks very much for the query. Mayo at bbc.co.uk. I find that putting on the, the sailing away music often works. Is it called sailing away? You know, the thing they play at the end Not of drift Radio away. 4. No, the, not drift away. The thing they play at the end of Radio 4. Oh, at the, uh, the end of the shipping forecast. Yes. That kind of thing. And it, when it, Say, uh, yeah, yeah, sail on by the Commodores. That's what you think. Sail on, no, no, sail float, on down the line. Float on, float on by the, by the floaters. floaters. We need to put that. Can we definitely have that? Is the flo- he's not listening? He's, he's not. listening to radio too. Floaters on the podcast, on the playlist. Cancer. My name is Larry, and I like a girl that loves everything and everybody. Isn't that right? It is <laughs> Dis- disturbingly close, actually. <laughs> Uh, sailing by is the name of the uh, name of the music by Ronald. Sailing boy, Bin- yeah, sailing yes, by. I was right. Oh, sailing away, sailing by, sailing by. Sorry, yes. by Ronald Binge. Genuinely, okay. <laughs> Thanks, Ronald. I should have known that. Uh, right, let's talk Bourne. Then uh, we're going to talk to Paul Greengrass and Matt Damon in just a second. First of all, here's a clip from the movie featuring Matt Damon and Vincenz Kiefer. We should work together, Bourne. You exposed the Blackbriar program. We both have to do the same thing, right? We both want to take down the corrupt institutions that control society. I'm not on your side. And that's a clip from Jason Bourne. I'm delighted to say that Matt Damon uh, is with us on the programme and Paul Greengrass has insisted on... Uh, <laughs> crashing, in, crashing the interview. <laughs> crashing in on Wouldn't the interview for the one world. more time. <laughs> How are you, Paul? I'm very good. It's very good to see you, sir. Well, ask us why we did the Jason Bourne. You're the only one we can say this to. <laughs> I, I know. So this goes back a number of years, actually, but it has become a sort of running joke. So now I'm going to ask Matt. So, Matt, it's been six years or something? No, it's been 2000. It's been nine, nine years. Nine ten years. years. So how, how come you've made an, a newborn film? Well, Paul, you can tell him. I mean, this is, this is we, 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 we I, I believe we announced show. it on your show. We, we said we could not possibly make another Bourne movie unless your team Tottenham qualified for Champions League. 
as soon as they did, we were because we, we were are men of our word. Yeah. We went and made a Jason Bourne movie. So you've moved very fast because obviously we only qualify, you know, the end of last season. So you've made this movie very quickly. Yeah, very quickly. Just a couple of months. That's amazing. How well, he called me. He said, yeah. he said, I have an idea and it's good because Tottenham's looking. <laughs> <laughs> it's looking pretty promising. I think I think we got to start now. Yeah. So and when we did, it was looking pretty good. Yeah. If you're going to decide oh, whether to make another on, one, Simon. it could be you know if Chelsea get into the Champions League, could maybe be. you should make another one. Could be. What do you could think? Be. I don't know about that. I don't know about <laughs> if Palace get in there because then I'm sure that we won't get there for a quite. A long time. Uh, uh, okay. Just just on the title. Jason Bourne. Were there other titles that you were running with, or was Jason Bourne always going to be the? Uh, I mean, there was a list that went out, I think, you know, a, a large list. I mean, they paid, you know, their whole marketing department, everybody, you know, threw one in the hat, I think. But because the whole first three movies are about this guy trying to figure out who he is and finally gets this identity and then rids himself of the identity, um, you know, you find him at the beginning of this movie kind of living out on the margins and, you know, in this question of is he going to reclaim this identity, this central question of Jason Bourne, because obviously that's not really his name. So what has, he been, what has he been doing since the last movie? Paul said to me at the outset was, look, if we, because we had a perfect ending for, you know, the, the third one, which, you know, he's, he's liberated from this identity, yeah. he swims away kind of off into the sunset. And if you're going to resurrect the franchise at that point, you have to believe, Paul said to me, that five minutes after he got free, things started going bad for him. And he was haunted by what he'd done. And he couldn't escape, you know, uh, the, the life he'd lived. And so where we find him is in a, in a dark place, you know, 10 years later, we find him in this, you know, on the Greek-Macedonia border, fighting for a few bucks. Like, he's just in a very unresolved place. And that's, I mean, you, you would have to find him there. As Paul said, if, if we look at him and he looks like he's been living well, we don't have a movie. And... I immediately saw the wisdom in that. Yeah. So had you been? Thankfully, I didn't have to work out, so it was all right. <laughs> but, but and have yeah, you, this have was in the context of telling me that I had to lose a lot of weight and get in shape. Yeah. One of the few perks of being the director. <laughs> so was he re- in a bad way? Was he in bad shape? No, then? he's always in fantastic shape. I know shape. that's every, every movie. We a serious answer is listen. He's always in great shape, but there's a sort of shape you've got to be in if you're Jason Bourne. That's a different, you know, because we have to believe, as Matt says, that he's. But he's had ten tormented years. That's a different kind of... You can't act that stuff. Your body's got to tell that story. And also, you know, we haven't done one of these movies for a lot, for quite some years, and we didn't... Like, neither of us thought we were going to do it. But when you come back... Well, why are you coming back? You know, you're coming back because you think that you've got something to... Another chapter in that story to tell. But you're very aware, all of us were very aware, that there's a bar that... You know, those films, are, people love those movies, the, you know, the first three, and therefore the audience is going to have expectations. And so the fear you have is, can we meet those expectations? Can we be as good again? And you're not going to do that unless you turn up with deadly seriousness, all of us, and work to the nth mm. degree to make it good, as opposed to just turning up and going through the motions. Was so there, that was the statement of intent for him, for all of us, you know. Was, it, was there a point for both of you that you were almost like waiting for permission to write, to do another movie? That, you know, you, you knew that you'd done a fantastic trilogy, everybody loved those movies, you, you loved 
going there, but did he need permission to make another one? Did the story need to be strong enough? What was we, it? No, we needed to believe there was a story and, and, and a reason to make it. And we did say, look, the, it'll be easier in a decade if we just let the world change and then have a discussion about whether or not we want to see Jason Bourne in this new world. Um, it'll be clear whether there's a movie there or not. And because certainly right after Ultimatum, we didn't, there wasn't really anywhere to go. So we needed that time to pass, I think. And do you feel the world has changed enough in kind of espionage and intelligence? Yeah, this, to pick the, up the last one came out in 2007. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about what's happened. It was amazing to me. I mean, I was skeptical, I must be honest. But once we started, it was, it was extraordinary to me how much the world had changed. When you actually sit and say, well, what's different from 2007? You actually start making a list. There were no social media companies to speak of in 2007. That's in the last decade. You've had these gigantic corporations that kind of bestride the globe, literally bestride the globe. They didn't exist. You know, you didn't have the, you know, anonymous Julian Assange, Snowden, you know, the, the sort of countervailing oppositional force out there, which has great power. You know, you didn't have the whole cyber arena. That didn't exist. I mean, the whole landscape that we operate in in our lives is very, very different. I think the the nature of the feeling of threat that people have in their everyday life is very different. There's a sequence very early on, which a lot of people have mentioned, but I just want to mention the the, the motorbike chase going through the anti-austerity, right? Because it, it seems to me in that moment, everybody instantly thinks this is, this is Bourne. Only Bourne does this. That here you have something, we, we've all seen images of the anti-austerity. We know what's happening uh, in Athens, into which you now have this extraordinary high-octane chase which you're developing. I mean, it's an astonishing, it's almost like the end, you're thinking, this, if the movie ends now, that's fine. I know we've only been going 20 minutes, but it's an astonishing sequence. Was it tough to film? I mean, just can you both just give us a, a few flavors about what that was like to do well, that sequence? Paul Greengrass can shoot a protest. <laughs> I mean, let's be fair. I mean, he, this, you know, he covered a lot of them, mm-hmm. and he's been in the middle of them and knows what they look like and knows how to make them real. And we had four weeks of night shooting in Tenerife in the Canary Islands, and we had awesome extras, um, background actors, F- 500 of them or so, who, who learned Greek chants and who, you know, it's very hard to keep people's energy up all night long, night after night, and these guys really just brought unbelievable energy and with the Molotov cocktails, and all, I mean, just over and over again, night after night, and um, it just elevated the whole thing. That's where we started shooting, and that was the first yeah. sequence we shot, and um, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy with it, and, and from the planning all the way through, the, through its execution. Paul called me very early on and said, We're start, I want to start it in Greece. He said, this, is, this is before any of the uh, austerity stuff. He said, that place is going to kick off. That's just the mentality of, I mean, our writer-director, you know. He, and that's what makes Bourne special is he's, you know, as a franchise, he, he travels through the world that we're all living in. How did you write that? How do you write a motorcycle chase? <clears throat> well, this one I wrote with Chris Rouse, who obviously is a very close collaborator of ours, and he's cut all the Bourne films. Is a huge co-author of the franchise for yeah. sure. Well, the truth is, it it takes a long time. You have to you have to have the idea first. I go, you you know, you sort of have to have an idea. Well, what can we do that's new? You know, what can we do in terms of an action sequence that's fresh and new and 
feels alive and also we're coming back after a long time away, you want to make a statement of intent. Well, you yeah. certainly succeeded in that. Yeah, but then you've got to sit down and plan it meticulously. And it's like, it's like going through the gears in a sequence and you've got to work out how you get to each level and then how you develop to the next level until finally you build the pace. Because, you know, that's a whole long 12 or 14-minute sequence culminating in the bike thing and then there are all sorts of decisions is it cars is it bikes is it bike and car what? these are long takes presumably in the in the classic yeah, greengrass you know, style you get you get a brilliant second unit director simon crane who does a lot of specialist vehicle work and great stunt coordinator gary powell and as a team you then start to push the envelope for what's possible at speed you know tenerife as matt was saying was a superb, but we were one of the very first films. I don't think yeah. we were literally the first. We were certainly one of the first films to shoot there, and it's it's a fantastic place to shoot because they gave us such tremendous run of the city, you know. Because I mean, we were making an immense amount oh. of noise oh, for yeah. weeks and weeks and weeks on end. And if you employ half the town, then that's yeah. It. But then you have to plan it meticulously. I mean, safety is a huge issue in something like that where you've got you know motorbike. I mean, just Worrying about Matt and Julia and Vincent, but what were, you, also, what were you worried about as far as Matt's concerned? Well, anything that involves putting actors in on vehicles or in on motorbikes, particularly, is a real issue. But then, as well as that, you've got fast vehicles and motorbikes interacting with crowds. That's also highly, highly dangerous. So you're more of your time when you're making a film is thought considering safety issues. It's your number one fear, concern, preoccupation, and professional requirement. You know, and, Matt, well, and, and in that, and, and while that's what Paul is thinking, what is your number one concern? <clears throat> oh, safety. Yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah, what can go wrong? I mean, you know, is this dangerous? Um, and luckily, I mean, as Paul said, you know, with Simon and Gary, I mean, these are incredibly conscientious people, and very, very, very good at what they do. And Gary's safety would always be his first. And Chris Carreras. And Chris as well, our first, first AD. He's just a, a man of immense experience, one of the great ADs of the world. And a, you have to see him in action to yeah. believe what can be done to wrangle five, six hundred people all night with vehicles. The organisational, logistical yeah. imperatives are, are enormous, you know. But, and if that was the first thing that you did, if that's the first building block of this story, you must have felt fantastic coming out of it thinking, I mean, obviously you hadn't seen what it looked like, but you think, OK, this, this, is, this is great. This is classic born straight away. Yeah, I mean, it just thematically, it all felt right. And yeah, I definitely, I think we left Tenerife feeling like we, we got that sequence. Like it was, a, it was a perfect way to kind of, to launch. And does that make you uh, think, Paul, that you're going to be, I can't imagine that you're not going to be working together again on whatever the project is. You guys clearly have a fabulous relationship. Yeah, without together. We're always uh, looking for yeah. stuff. Yeah, definitely. We will. And it's obviously football to one side, but you would expect to be working again? Uh, I, I do hope to work again, yeah. With Paul? I want to say, what do we see you in next? I, I, I'll do anything with Paul, anything. And, and I'm always he looking for, always looking for uh, stuff to do. He, he, you know, I begged him to be in United 93, and he said, no, I don't want anybody. I don't want any faces that are... 
famous, that's the, would, that would uh, get in the way of what I'm trying to do. Um, but uh, I try to beg my way into anything he's making. Do we know he's what you're nice, doing next? He's nice. He's a nice guy. He, he, he went slumming with that Tom Hanks guy, for <laughs> Captain Phillips. I'll never forgive him for that. But <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do next, actually. I'm going to go on holiday. It's honestly the truth. And consider the palace transfer targets. <laughs> yeah. How's Get that look? The lad Benteke in. I'm, yeah. I'm feeling like top six. Isn't Did he sign? Nice? Well, he's apparently signing yeah. today. Is that right? Um, no, I don't know what I'm going to do. I mean, I'm thinking about a few things and... I mean, literally, we've just finished this. It's sort of, and then you have the nerve-wracking period of seeing if it's going to work. I've it's ne- going to work. I've yeah. never seen it in front of an audience. Okay, well, let me tell you. It's go- and you know very well it's going to work. It's fantastic. Believe me, when you've made, you don't know. You hope, and I can believe that we're okay. But yeah, you know, so I, when I see young filmmakers, I say there's only one thing when you're making a film you need to concern yourself about. It's like the inner question. It's like if you're piloting an airplane, are we flying? Aviate, you've got to aviate, you've got to be flying, otherwise you're in trouble. Are you all right? If you're not all right, then you've got to run through the checklist of what to do about it. But if you're all right, there's nothing you need to know or can know beyond all right. And it's like that with a film. I think we're all right, but whether it'll work, I don't know. Well, you're all right and it's going to work. Paul and Matt, thank you as ever. Thank you very much. Thanks, Thank you. Paul Greengrass uh, and Matt Damon will discuss... Sounds like they're in a very good mood. I love the doubt. I love the doubt in Paul Greengrass's voice. Just, even though you get to that standard of wonderful filmmaking, which those guys have done, they get to this point, it hasn't gone out yet. And you can... I think Paul's a genuine guy. He's just not entirely certain what's going to happen I don't, in the movie. I don't think any filmmaker worth their salt is entirely certain what anything is going to be like until they get it. And it was interesting. How long ago did, was that recorded? That was uh, about 10 days ago. Okay, fine. So that whole thing about until something gets before an audience, you don't know. I mean, I still, you know, one of my the, my touchstone stories is William Friedkin when they'd spent all those years making Sorcerer and they were just convinced it was going to be the best thing ever. And it was just a matter of how much the best thing ever it was going to be. And then, of course, it just tanked. Now, I think that, incidentally, Sorcerer is a work of genius, um, but it... It just didn't play. So any any film, and he literally just made the biggest right. movie of all time. But he, so so clearly, well, I'm I'm telling him that they're all right. Yeah, no, so. you, well, you said that thing. It works. Yes, it works, and it actually does work. So, but everyone is now thinking because you haven't seen it yet. But when you get, I know that what I like about what these two guys do together. Please let it be as good as the others. That's what everyone is hoping. Okay. And I'm telling you, Mark, I think it is. Did you grip the edge of the chair? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, that that's that opening. That's the opening twenty minute sequence because they get to that anti austerity riot, and as he says, Paul Greengrass can do a riot better than anyone else. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Relax. You're in good hands. <laughs> okay, that's coming up. Anyway, it's going to be reviewed on next week's program. By Robbie. What are, what are we going to do in the next hour, Mark? We're going to do Chevalier. We're going to do Star Trek Beyond. We're going to do the BFG. We're going to be do Born to Be Blue. It's going to be packed tastic. Star Trek to be discussed very shortly. Stuart Gale in Birmingham. Is, is that the name of the film? Star Trek to be discussed very shortly. Well, it's just as that's a really unwieldy title. I think they should just call it Beyond. <coughs> Star Trek Beyond isn't the greatest Star Trek title, though, is it? You don't think. But do you remember the fuss over Star Trek Into Darkness and whether or not there was a colon and whether or not you could trek into anything because it was not a verb? Happy days. Stuart Gale and Birkenhead, I was enjoying the latest live stream ahead of the official broadcast on Saturday evening of your programme, having hoped it would go ahead despite not appearing on the five live schedule. It got very complicated. Did it go ahead? It went ahead in a one-hourly version. 
We did we did two hours, but it went out in a one hourly version. The what did we lose? Me? Yeah. You did they just take out everything week. I said? Anyway, it got towards the end when you asked Mark, as usual, for the movie of the week. He replied that it was a double bill between Summertime and... Which I really like. And then the stream ended and cut to the regular Five Live studio no, talking about the open golf. <laughs> so on that cliffhanger, I had to go and get the podcast to see how the film ended. Was this a ploy? Well, well, you know. So yes, it was a ploy. That was exactly it. We, we did it in order that you would go, that you would get the podcast. And what was it? A double bill between? Well, <laughs> see, now you're asking because I, I often don't know, even at the time of saying it out loud. I suspect summertime. I really, really liked. I suspect the other one was Ghostbusters, which I thought was, you know, as okay. well, we've just we've talked about. I thought it was kind of okay. Um, could have been better, but could have been a lot worse and uh, likable, but flawed. Like so many of us. Exactly. Really. Uh, we'll get to some more co- uh, Ghostbusters conversation before we finish <clears throat> uh, the program. Uh, Star Wars in a second. Fill the Star Trek, even. <laughs> Fill the X pack. There we go. It's just JJ syndrome. I know. I know. It it am, I, am I trekking or warring? Fill the expat uh, living in Germany needs our advice. I mean, okay. it's your advice specifically. Right. Over the years, I've been uplifted by all the many wonderful miracles uh, which come from the mighty church of Witter. But sitting in the gorgeous little art house. Orpheus Urban Cinema last night, waiting for what turned out to be a thoroughly edifying showing of Sing Street. Thanks for the recommendation. I love Sing Street. I was struck by a depressing thought. The cult of Witter is significantly reducing the chances that I will ever be able to marry. What? As I sat in the almost empty cinema, the thought struck me that I simply cannot marry someone who isn't a Wittertainee. Oh, OK, so this is like the Mary Poppins. Or at least willing to become one. I tried to introduce my previous girlfriend to the community and unbelievably she wasn't interested in the slightest. So not unbelievably, she now has the word previous. Yeah, maybe that was where things started to go seriously wrong. Having checked the iWitter app from which the two of you profit so handsomely, Yes. and doubtless Mark is dressed impeccably again, I know, he absolutely is. Absolutely is, looking fabulous, thanks to the money from the Eiwitter app. I know many devotees in Germany, but not so many around the west of Frankfurt. And if we assume that 50% of those are male, then the pool of eligible females of any age is apparently minimal, let alone the even smaller number of those who are aged in their 40s. So a question for Mystic Mark, who still exists. No, he doesn't. Do I quit my job and move back to the UK accept life as a bachelor, undergo some form of therapy to cure me of my witter habit, or do I just sit tight because everything will be all right in the end? Yes, the, Thank- la- the last of those is the correct option. Just sit tight. In the west of Frankfurt, because someone amazing is going to come into your life? Because you never know. I mean, where did, you know, out, out of the blue, where did you meet your intended? I mean, randomly. Hmm. Fine. Okay, ask me the same question. Okay. Uh, no, just say, where did you meet your intended? Where did you meet your intended? Mm. See, the thing is, anywhere. I just had someone talking in my head. Oh, were you not listening to me? No, I was listening to the person who's in charge. Can you not talk to him when I'm talking it's very, to him? He just wants me to say we don't profit from that thing. Oh, I see. Oh, you, you, what you mean? I think everybody knows It wasn't that. evident that that was a joke. Apparently, there might be some people okay. who, who don't. All right. Yes, even though we do, even though we do. So the answer is uh, stay where you are. Everything will be fine. It will all work out in the end of time, even even in the west of Frankfurt. Yes, I presume so. Very good. Philip, thank you very much indeed uh, for your email. Mayo at bbc.co.uk. We'll do TV Movie of the Week. We'll do some new releases. None which more exciting than... None which more exciting than... That cannot be structurally correct, can that it? That is the None way... Which is, is Robin talking in your head again? Yeah. Is he working away his the way the foot? kids are talking. They're like, none, none which, which are more exciting. And I'm saying, 
That's right, your face. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> Star Trek Beyond What? <laughs> yes, there. What we're and therein is the question. So Star Trek's had a, an extraordinary uh, sort of reinvention. There was the TV series that existed and everybody loved it and then it stopped and then everybody continued to love it through reruns. I mean, I remember watching it on the television in the 1970s. Then we got Star Trek the movie, which launched this entire bizarre movie franchise, which some were great, some were not good. You know, there was ones that we all really, really liked. There's the one when they go to heaven and Kirk has a fist fight with God, which was not so good. What was going on there? I know, what was going on there? It was just completely all over the shop, wasn't it? Just imagine the script read-through. I'm doing what? Yes, exactly. With who? But it's okay. He turns out not to be God. It's, it turns Spoiler. out to be somebody, somebody pretending. Um, and then, uh, you know, 2009, this sort of extraordinary reinvention, which kind of, you know, went back to first principles and started again to create an alternative uh, story and timeline, which I have to confess, I do sometimes get confused as to where the the relative timelines m- marry up. It's like if you miss a couple of episodes of Doctor Who and you come back and you can't remember, you can't quite remember whether Gallifrey is still with us or not. So 2009 Star Trek, um, 2013 Star Trek Into Darkness, both of which were sort of, I think, really crowd-pleasing films, which had some very, very interesting ideas in them and directed by J.J. Uh, Abrams, who was, uh, you know... Uh, a very fine uh, helmsman. So now we have the th- the third part of the reboot series uh, entitled, as you disparagingly pointed out, Star Trek Beyond. What? Can I, can I just spoil that for you? What? Completely. What? What? From now on, there's an email from Chris in Edinburgh. I'm just going to read it very briefly. Okay, no, go ahead. It won't get in the way of your... No, so fine, fine. Whenever I pass a poster for Star Trek Beyond, no colon, I find myself reading it in the voice of Suggs. Star Trek... Beyond! But of course, that's not Suggs, is it? That's. that's, no, that's it might, it, it'll be Mike Smash. Smashy. Smashy. Mike Parson, is it? No, yeah, anyway, it, yes, that will be here. Anyway, yeah, it's fine. a madness thing. It is. That's the, the one. It's the it. one who sang uh, Bardabe is Michael Caine, which of course is the one that Suggs didn't sing. Yeah, yeah. Him. Yeah. Anyway. One. And so Star on. Trek Beyond! Work. Thank you, Chris. Anyway, anyway so on. the third yes. uh, instalment in this. Uh, at the beginning, we find... Uh, none of this is plot spoilers, because actually we had an interview uh, last week... Uh, with Zachary Quinto. Zachary Quinto. Chris and, Pine with his watch. Chris Pine with his watch and his... Leave pal- your watch alone! his Pilates, I seem to remember. Oh, my goodness His me. Pontius Pilates. And... Um, at the beginning of it, we hear a captain's log which says that they've been in space for a few years on this ongoing mission. And uh, Captain Kirk is starting to wonder exactly what the point of it all is. He's starting to wonder whether when faced with infinity, what's the point of exploring infinity? Because it becomes like a thing at the end of Spinal Tap. You know, you say the end, but I say to you, what's beyond the end? And if that's the end of them, what is that? And it, actually, that's what the captain's log uh, seems like. Then there is a, a distress signal and the Enterprise is uh, sent off to go and uh, rescue this distress signal, which it turns out may not be all that it appears. Ne- next thing we know, there's beaming down onto planets. There is a huge destruction and, you know, and spectacle. Of course, this is directed by Justin Lin, who has a you know, track record of doing you know, fairly spectacular stuff on screen. The point that everyone has made, the filmmakers and indeed the, the, the critics, is that for all the, the stuff that's up there and the visual, visually spectacular, and I saw it on an IMAX screen, which I think, wow. you, I think did you not? No, you no, I just saw it in a little humble You know, screen. it was really, really big and there are some spectacular things. Like that. In the end, 
the Star Trek movies always do stand or fall on whether or not what you like is the interaction between those characters. Simon Pegg is uh, one of the co-writers, is the co-writer on this, and uh, the despite everything else that's going on, we get all the usual internecine squabbling that always made Star Trek really more about the people getting on or not getting on with each other than about everything else. Is a clip. Leaving me behind will significantly increase your chances of survival, Doctor. Well, that's damn sure, so we are completely out of the question. It is imperative that you locate any surviving crew. Here I was thinking you cared. Of course I care, Leonard. I always assumed my respect for you was clear. The dialogue we have had across the years has always... It's Spock. You don't have to say it. Well, at least I won't die alone. Well, that's just typical. So the funny thing is, is even just hearing that again, I was smiling because I remember how much I smiled in the cinema when they do that bit about you. Know, because the bickering between Bones and Spock was always a kind of key element of the TV series. Now, when you were talking to Chris Pine, uh, who plays Kirk, and Zachary Quinto, who plays Spock, you said at one point that you, that you thought that there was um, there was a sort of deliberate homage to the TV show, and they that's they, how, that's they, they feels, almost. Yeah. They almost got the hump because one of the I think Chris Pine said, "Well, what do you mean?" And what you meant was, well, what I meant was when it cuts because they had they, they do the huge spectacular scenes, but then when they they've been down to the planet, it looks as though the sets are made of polystyrene, and it looks like the TV series from the seventies. And I think once once I said that, he was happy with that. Yeah, okay. I mean, I think that I, the, the, once actually, he'd stopped fiddling with his watch, that really got on your nerves, didn't it? Well, Zachary Quinto's nerves more. Than yeah, absolutely. I think that the the thing that gives it that flavour more than anything is actually to do with the interaction. So on the one hand, you've got uh, Spock having his own sort of wrestling match with stuff that's going on, the demons in his past and in his future, and whether or not actually being on the Enterprise is the thing he should be doing. You have Kirk wondering about what's the point of being a captain with this ongoing mission. You have that scratchiness between Bones and McCoy. You have Scotty doing something, of course, played by Simon Pegg, who's clearly just like a you know a, ki- a kid in a candy store playing that role and really enjoying himself. And then you have a plot which has the sort of the shonkiness of some of the, uh, the, uh, the, the small screen episodes in that, you know, it, it, there is it, it's set up, and there is this spec, this absolutely sort of spectacular act of destruction which happens in the in the first uh, sort of movement of the film, in which I think you know with parts of it are genuinely quite breathtaking. No, we that Simon, hello. Yep. Parts of it are genuinely quite breathtaking. I'm yes, sorry, I'm, because you've seen it, therefore I'm doing this as a kind of a conversation. You want affirmation from me? I agree. I with just you, want you to kind of just look at me, and whilst I'm having this conversation okay. with you. Okay, so. All that stuff, I think, works well. Stop doing that. All the stuff, the relationships between the characters work well. There are also some uh, character developments that have been written about in the press that there's been some controversy about, all of which I'm perfectly in favour of. There is a sense that it's not um, it's not quite on the level of uh, the very, very... I mean, the, the first Star Trek reinvention was done so well, the first the J.J. Abrams Star Trek, I think, was done so well. And with such joy, that lovely thing about it is nostalgic, but it's also future-looking, and, of course, you know, which I think was something that he very much brought to Star Wars, which I had never been a Star Wars fan before the J.J. Abrams Star Wars movie, and I really thought he brought a lot of that joy and vim and vigour to it. 
I think that you don't quite get that. But what you do get is a really sort of slick piece of popcorn entertainment that even when it does threaten to sort of fall down, it's you st- it's still likeable because it has that thing that you were talking about, that the air that it is, in fact, for all its size, for all its scope, potentially another episode of a TV series with which you have great affection. I think Zachary Quinto is, I mean, once again, he sort of dominates the proceedings and he makes the very most of, you know, what's essentially a very, very old routine that we know, which is the, the conflict in Spock between humanity and Vulcanness, between logic and emotion. And, I mean, many of those lines, the thing, and particularly that line there about, you know, I always imagine there's another one in which in which Bone says what you're saying. No, somebody says what you're saying is, <clears throat> and then he says I fail to understand what excrement has to do with this, and it, which is a very very kind of spotlight that could absolutely fall flat. But he manages to deliver it in a way that makes you care about the characters. There were a couple of moments in the film in which I felt, you know, genuinely touched by that kind of bromantic side of it, and and bearing in mind how many of those sort of bromance movies just get on my nerves. Um, I liked it. I think it's. I don't think it's great. I think it's perfectly fine popcorn entertainment with some real spectacle and some lovely performances. So Star Trek Beyond, uh, Ian. Did, in, you, did you broadly agree? I broadly you, agreed. It's definitely down a notch from the last two, but there's an awful lot to to enjoy, particularly. And we could talk about the first. 20 minutes that we... Yeah, that's fine. I mean, it's certainly in the in, in, in Zachary, if you do, if you want no plot spoilers at all, stop listening yeah. now. But in the interview with Zachary Quinto, he said... We talk about the destruction of the Enterprise and it's, it is... It's sort of gut-wrenching It's because it happens so soon and it's it, it, you, you're almost bereft in the first 20 minutes. You think, well, where are they going to go uh, from here? But that is spectacular. So I would, it's enormously enjoyable, but it's not as good as the previous one. So this is what everyone else thinks. Ian Inferum. OK. Just come back from the early showing of Star Trek Beyond with my 20-something son. As a lifelong Trekkie, I will love every film even five. This was loud, brash, fast, with some nice... Even five. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's the Captain Kirk in space beating up God. The space station Yorktown was innovative and the swarm of bad is truly terrifying, and yet the heart of Roddenberry's Star Trek was human relationship. In particular, the trio of Kirk, Spock and Bones. In this movie, Kirk and Spock hardly exchanged a meaningful word, so their key relationship remained underdeveloped. The other missing element was Star Trek's ability to point a mirror at humanity and challenge our prejudices. In this movie, the baddie was given a motivation only at the very end of the movie, and then it was very simplistic. What we had was a comic book movie of thrills without the opportunity to layer deeper things on it. Odd numbers, odd numbered movies have always been weaker than even ones. So here's hoping for four. That's yeah, that's the, that's the whole theory that you can do everything on that on, on on the odd even thing. Dr. Simon K, as a truly hardcore nerdy Star Trek fan, I'm pleased to report that Star Trek Beyond is a real success. Good, more imaginative than the first two reboot movies. Beyond delivers. An exhilarating flight of the Phoenix meets Star Wars roller coaster, but also crucially gives us lots more tricky meditation on the role of humanity in the cosmos, the loneliness of leadership, and the ultimate value of infinite diversity in infinite combinations, which is uh, 
a thing we picked up on the interview last week. Yeah. There will be uh, embittered trekkers in your inbox today complaining about how the film confuses deflectors for shields and seems to completely mess up the well-established pre-Federation timeline from the TV series. Oh, I've lost that one. But these commudgingly voices can now be safely ignored. Enjoy instead Carl Urban's superb and expanded performance as McCoy, Chris Pine's more nuanced interpretation of Kirk and some best-in-class special effects. Live long and prosper. Uh, Simon Kay. Uh, let me f- Star Trek Beyond. I was just going to say that on the subject of the, uh, the person who wrote in and said, uh, you know, as a as a as a nerd, this this thing about the timelines and the shields and all the rest of it. I think that you and you went, no, I don't know about that, and I don't either because I'm absolutely not uh, in that market. But I do, I do uh, have respect for. Uh, people who are long-term fans who worry about the way in which things do or don't match up or measure up, and uh, particularly when you're talking about series that exist or at least owe a substantial part of their existence to that kind of fan base, I think it is it is perfectly legitimate for them to have uh, worries and complaints or you know whatever. And I, I always felt the same way about. Uh, left I always felt the same way about Twilight um, you know if, if you have something which exists because of fan enthusiasm then you need to you need to take that on board you know in in all its forms Paul Watson uh, says dear doctors it's 2 30 a.m I've just left a screening of Star Trek beyond I mostly enjoyed it mostly mostly the screen chemistry where does that come from you know, if you ask me a question I don't know what well I was is. I'm assuming that you should have said that in the voice of newt I mostly enjoyed it Mostly. They mostly come at night. Mostly. Never mind. OK. I, I'm sorry. It may, may not even have been that, but I'm, I'm assuming that that's what it was. The screen chemistry between Kirk and Spock that made the original series and films is a bit lacking in this incarnation. However, the chemistry between Spock and McCoy is, is strong. Bang on. Which is fortunate considering they spend a lot of the film together. <laughs> The plot progresses along easily enough and there's a few knowing jokes thrown in for the fans. There's even a few laugh-out-loud moments. My main issue was the direction. It felt a bit scattergun in its approach. It didn't seem to linger long enough or do justice to the worlds that the designers have created. Though whether this was to stop you noticing the cracks, I'm not sure. For the most part, the effects hold up, but the shot tracking the motorbike looked awful. The bike seemed to floating uh, seemed to float at Weird, Weirdly enough... Um... Yes, that one shot did look odd to me. That that's that's very well pointed out. Yes, that one shot, the overhead shot tracking the motorbike, did look a bit odd. P.S. Can we open a booksellers boudoir in the church? We can certainly do that. More power to the booksellers. Ian uh, in Canesham in Bristol just stepped out of a midnight view. I love it when people have just been to the you know the really late screenings because it's yeah. the first opportunity that they have. I felt compelled to write in. I watched this latest instalment as a triple bill. Wow. I also love that because they do the previous two up to the midnight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then which, is, which is what you said you're going to do with Bourne. It's the, well, I just think it would be a great, a really top idea to watch all the Bourne movies and then go and see the new one. When compared with the first two movies, Star Trek Beyond falls light years short and can only be described as meh by comparison. While Star Trek and Into Darkness zip along at warp speed, Beyond limps sadly behind on impulse engines. There is a great deal of style in this very film. Nice York, it's it very is nice. nice. Yeah, yeah. Yorktown is like an M.C. Escher painting brought to life and the alien ships with their incredible destructive capabilities are a feast for the CG eyes. But in this film we very are good. lacking the substance of a villain that you can connect with and whose motives you can empathise with. Kral is underdeveloped as a character and does not live up to the sheer rage uh, 
of the others. The plot itself is full of holes so big you could drive a dreadnought-class starship through them. And that, the final... that, that, is, that is true, although, again, well-constructed sentence. And the final big reveal is like an Agatha Christie plot where a character who has not been in the play all along turns wait, 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 out... Turns out wait, wait, wait. I think that's vague uh, enough. I think... I'm sorry, I just, you know... I think that was all right. Yes, it, no, that is fine. It's yeah. fine, fine. I'm just... I'm just, just, I'm, just I'm not criticising you. Thank you. I'm just panicking, you know. Jamie uh, in Mid-Sussex, I am not to be described as a Trekkie. However, I have long followed the Star Trek universe in both film and TV over its 55 years since conception. As a sci-fi fan, the opportunity to go to my local world of cine for my first triple-bill midnight screening allowed me to be able to watch the reinterpretation Star Trek series on the big IMAX screen. Star Trek Beyond felt like it was trying to hit the nostalgia heartstrings to tie with the 55th anniversary and the original series. I felt it worked for fans, however, went a little off-piste like a spaceship off a mountain or an antique motorbike being the best way to get around in order to entertain the non-Trekkies. I'm a fan of Simon Pegg and thought that the script met the six-laugh test easily for myself and the other mixed-age midnight fans. There were moments where you felt Pegg made the most of giving some good one-liners for his own character, but the laughs, whether lines or looks, were shared out amongst the whole cast. Overall, I enjoyed the film and what it had to offer, even the threed, uh, but would not rush back to catch it again, unlike the recent JJ offering from that other universe. It's now 3.23am. The cats are extremely hungry from my triple bill absence, and I think Dexter and Dylan just meowed hi to Jason, or maybe I need some sleep. So overall, I think people are essentially lining up pretty much where you are and saying yeah. saying it's really good. It's just not. It's not. Yeah, it's not quite it, as good. It's not. It's perhaps not quite as good as the first two, and it does. It is slightly insubstantial. I think Simon Pegg does have a great uh, comedy writing in that uh, script. I think there are holes that you could drive or whatever the thing that they said through it was. But certainly in terms of popcorn entertainment, I didn't come out of it feeling underfed. Maybe one of the reasons why there's less Kirk and Spock is that because that the last movie was. Yeah. Loads of Kirk and Spock. So yeah. maybe if they just did that again. Yeah. And it wasn't a problem for me because, frankly, we got enough Kirk and Bones, which was we have Spock and Bones, which was really, really funny. Really funny. What are you going to do in the next half hour? We'll do the BFG. We'll do Chevalier. We'll do Born to be Blue. We've got loads to do. TV movie of the week. You're ready for this because uh, BFG is coming up in just a second. James A. Brown. Well, it's obviously going to be Ferris Bueller's Day Off. A real feel-good film for uncertain times. I can never get tired of this eminently quotable film. However, Mark will choose Sunshine on Leith, which I haven't seen yet, but will make sure I tape when I... Tape? When I return <laughs> from the family trip to... Does anyone tape anymore? There was a, an article that somebody uh, sent me uh, on Twitter about the Japan's... Yeah, that was lo- me. Oh, you sent it to me. Well, I retweeted it anyway. The, okay, the, 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 last, the last VCR yeah. being made. Is that right? Yeah. I think that's the one. It's amazing that they're still being made. I know, I didn't know they were. Tom Butler, I think Mark's going to go for Dexter Fletcher's uh, superb Sunshine on Leith, mainly just to remind us all of Peter Mullen's amazing Tom Waits-esque singing voice. It is. And I'd probably agree with him. Ian Aliff, it may be a film from well before I was born, but I think my Mark might go for The Bells of St Trinian's. It's good, clean, innocent fun with a side order of homebrew gin, arson, <laughs> race-fixing, forged fivers and Joyce Grenfell being hit on the head with a hockey stick. Actually, I'm going to watch that now. Um, Rich Belbin, a real dilemma between The Boy Who Turned Yellow if only for the beef eaters scene, and the Night of the Generals, just because it's ace. I think I'm going to plump for Generals, but Mark will go for the others. What are you going to pick, Mark, for our 
I am gonna, movie of the week. I am going to go for Sunshine on Leith for all the reasons everyone said. Firstly, I love Dexter Fletcher. I think he's, you know, he's a, a really talented filmmaker. I like the fact that they took what was, a, you know, a, a, a stage production that nobody thought would work and then did work and then managed to turn it into a film that nobody thought would work and then did work. Um, I think the performances are really likeable and winning. I watched the whole thing with the biggest smile on my face. I love those songs. I know I know that people have said what well, you know it's doing for the proclaimers what Mamma Mia did for ABBA. To some extent there there is truth in that, but it is also very very much its own film. I think Dexter Fletcher's cameo in it is very funny. I think the proclaimers cameo in it is very funny. Um I just loved it and and uh, yeah, I could watch it over and over again. Uh, so that's the TV movie of the week. The DVD of the week will be on the podcast, podcast which will be a little, a little bit uh, later. Let's go on with something brand new and big and sparkly from Steven Spielberg. So let's do the BFG. So there was a television, uh, you know, made for TV movie, the BFG animated movie in 1989, which is very much loved and apparently was a firm favourite of uh, Roald Dahl. Now it comes to the screen in a sort of much more zhuzhy form uh, as directed by Steven Spielberg, featuring in the lead role Mark Rylance, who of course was so brilliant in Bridge of Spies, doing a performance capture performance Um uh, as the uh, as the big friendly giant, we open in this kind of slightly non-specific uh, London, which seems to meld old and new as the camera moves across the Thames through the House of Parliament to these cobbled streets, and suddenly it's a bit Dickensian to an orphanage where young Sophie peers into a doll's house. She's like a giant. The next thing you know, a giant's hand reaches in. She is taken off to uh, to giant country by the big friendly giant, and her question, of course, is. But why did you bring me here? Why did you take me? Well, I had to take you. Because the first thing you'd be doing, you'd be scuttling around and yodling the news that you were actually seeing a giant. And then there would be a great rumple-dumpus, wouldn't there? And all the human beings would be rummaging and whiffling for the giant what you saw and getting wildly excited, and then they'd be locking me up in a cage... And to be looked at with all the squiggling, you know, hippo dumplings and crocodile dillies and jiggy rafts. And then there would be a gigantic look-see giant hunt for all of the boys. I won't tell. No one would listen to me anyway. I'm an untrustworthy child. <laughs> terrifically, it's brilliant. terrifically winning performance there uh, by uh, Ruby Barnhill and, of course, by uh, Mark Rylance as the big friendly giant with that uh, lovely, uh, scrumdiddly umptious uh, language. delivery is perfect. Yeah, it is. And, of course, it sounds, you know, something like a mix between Anthony Burgess's NADSAT and uh, Stanley Unwin's Maximus Myloads. And uh, I, I almost wanted to go straight home and put on uh, Ogden's Nut Gone Flake, which is still one of my favourite uh, narrated uh, Records, records when they were records. Uh, so uh, the th- the script for uh, the BFG is uh, written by the late Melissa Matheson, who of course is uh, best known, I think, for uh, writing ET. And there are certainly there is a sense of uh, Spielberg's extraterrestrial gem in this. There is one particular shot that I thought very clearly seemed to uh, evoke ET, but it's also in the general feeling of the piece. I have to say, I like this very much, and I liked it for a a number of reasons. Firstly, on a technical level, I do think that the performance capture work is really well done. I mean, Mark Rylance's performance is terrific, and hats off to everybody involved in the visual effects which turned that uh, human, you know, flesh and blood performance into the performance that we now have uh, of him as the BFG, which I think it's... 
it's it's really brilliantly done. It, it's vibrant and tender and funny and uh, and works in all the ways that you want it to. I think uh, in the case of Ruby Barnhill, she brings something of the the independent spirit and the mischievousness that we had from Mara Wilson in uh, Danny DeVito's version of Matilda, which I really, really love. It is interesting that, you know, there have been versions of Roald Dahl that have used uh, stop-motion animation, you know, Fantastic Mr Fox, um, James and the Giant Peach. Uh, that physicality is very important. And one of the problems that you sometimes get with CG is that it can produce a a sort of shiny visual surface that appears to lack heft, but I didn't get the feeling with that, with this at all. I mean, you and I, I think, both had slight worries about the uncanny valley of the adventures of Tintin, which I never quite settled into the whole performance capture CG visual of that. It was always, it, it always slightly bothered me. You felt the same way, I think, didn't you? Uh, yes, I think I probably. But in the case of this, I didn't. I just, I literally ended. I, I, uh, the greatest indication is I didn't end up thinking about the special effects whilst I was watching it. I ended up thinking, ended up thinking about the special effects while afterwards. I'm, is there something weird? You're looking no, no. I'm just, I'm just thinking. I think uh, I agree with everything that you said. I, th- I wonder if it, even though they obviously have to go because people, yeah. people know the story. It ends up at Buckingham Palace. Yeah, yeah. Right? This isn't. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 it involves the Queen. Uh, and there's some laugh out loud moments there. Really are, yeah. But for me, the giant country bit is when it is when it really, really works. And then when it when we move into the Buckingham Palace section, it just I think it loses it just a little. Okay, bit. Okay, well, I laughed during the Buckingham oh, Palace I, section. I laughed yeah. like an idiot. I the mean, I, la- I, I just, I just laughed. The whiz popping, I just thought was the one that's of the fun- a lot of whiz. There's a lot of whiz popping, and you know, that's absolutely the whiz popping redemption. There's a lot of whiz popping, and not much, but you know, I have no problem with that. So I thought that stuff was laugh out loud funny. I also. I liked the way in which, much as with E.T., you know, the whole thing about E.T. is that Elliot and E.T. are basically the same person, um, you know, right down to the initials of E.T. Uh, and they're both lonely, they're both lost, they're both, uh, they're both out, of, out of place. And the, the joy of this is that you get that same sense, the, the small child, the huge giant, but both basically isolated and looking for some kind of family relationship and very very quickly the film establishes that mirror image duality the sense that they are both looking at this they are really sort of two sides of the same coin i think it does that really well um i like the way the music helped with the storytelling i thought it took us through the emotional peaks and troughs with real sort of uh, balletic grace i know that there will be some uh, question about whether or not it has the darkness of uh doll who was you know did, did definitely have a dark side in his uh, writing which <laughs> i think you know often appealed perhaps more to the to the kids than one would perhaps want to well there's a section in the book yeah, yeah, where yeah. the bfg talks about the taste of oh, well there's the whole gi- question, yeah, the giants the, eating people yeah. from around the world there's the whole so. question about sort of vegetarianism versus uh, versus meat eating but i i liked it very much i thought it was i thought it was it, we had spielberg rediscovering his inner child i think when you look at you know hook which he had spoken about on our program before and said that at some points he wants to go back and watch hook to see if there's anything in it that he likes at all um i thought it had that magic which hook spectacularly didn't have i thought it had that physicality which tintin didn't have i thought it had that charm um, that ET did have, and I, I was I was really quite won over by it. I did I liked it very much. Uh, William, and you mentioned you mentioned the the girl. She is Ruby Bonnell. She's she? brilliant. Oh. Yeah, she's just great. And, she's, and they found her in a classroom. You know, they went from school to school, and they found her. That was just terrific. And we know that 
Steven Spielberg knows how to cast children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get these jobs. William Summers in Melbourne. Uh, here in Australia, we got to see the BFG a month before you lot in the UK as well, it was released for the Australian winter school holidays at the end of June. Despite never ha- having read the book, I was talked into going by my wonderful Aussie girlfriend and newly converted wittertainee Betty, who grew up on the BFG along with her Vegemite. It was <laughs> quirky and charming throughout. It was particularly good to see the young female lead character Sophie portrayed as a feisty girls-can-do-anything protagonist leading the way. The CGI was a bit ropey in places and it plodded well, through a couple so. of bits, but overall... Very enjoyable, easily passed the six laugh test. In fact, the kids in our screening got their whole six laughs from one scene with the um, Whiz Pop Royal Corgis, Whiz-pop, which absolutely yeah. is completely <laughs> hilarious, right? Which comes towards the end. Uh, Jonathan in Oxford, being a fan of both John Williams and Roald Dahl, I have recently decided to purchase the soundtrack to the upcoming BFG. I'm delighted to report that the soundtrack is John Williams at his best. Lovely. It's a lovely and that it soundtrack. will constitute a very positive component to one of the most anticipated films of the year. Just on the music, we didn't get a chance to mention it because it was in the clip going into the Bourne interview. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But the, that urgent music... In Bourne. In Bourne was just fantastic. And oh, the okay. clip that we played, is you just feel tense straight away <laughs> as soon as that comes in, which is uh, another wonderful thing to look out for. So it's 10 minutes to 4 o'clock. BFG has been done. Star Trek Beyond has been done. What else is it? Can I do Chevalier? Rhetorical question. Okay, fine. So Chevalier, which is this super dry comedy from Athena Rachel Zangarai, who's a colleague of uh, Yorgos Lanthimos. And this is basically a very, as I said, very, very dry satire about men and male interpersonal relations. It's described on the uh, uh, on the posters as a buddy movie without the buddies. It's a, a, a group of middle-aged men are together on a, a yachting trip in which they're doing sort of fishing and swimming and all that sort of stuff. And we, we begin with a sequence in which they're helping each other out of their wetsuits. And uh, then later on, they start playing one of those uh, parlour games. You know, if you, were, if you were an animal, what kind of animal would, be, would you be? If you were a colour, what kind of colour would you be? If you were a sound, what kind of sound you, would you be? And inevitably, those games lead to bickering and argument. How can you how can you possibly say that? I wouldn't be that. What what a stupid thing! And then one of them says, "Well, anyway, 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 it doesn't matter because even even if you win this game, it doesn't mean you're the best. I mean, the game is not to discover who's the best. So immediately they invent a game which is to discover who is the best on everything. So they then spend the rest of the trip, if essentially, assessing." Everybody, which one of them is the best? And at the end, they make a, 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 a rule that at the end, this with Chevalier's signet ring will be given to the person who is the best. They compare verbal dexterity. They compare uh, hygiene. They compare hair loss. They compare bodybuilding. They take intimate photographs in which they compare. There is, uh, they, there is one brilliant section in which they have a speed race to who can most quickly assemble a flat-packed bookshelf, which particularly tickled me, as you know, that flat-packing is something that Not your I, strength. Well, maybe not my strength, but it is weirdly my fetish. I will give me a flat-pack and, uh, you know, and an alum key and leave me alone for the rest of the day because I will make that fold away couch if it absolutely is the last thing I do. Which it might be. Which is one of the reasons I think that perhaps this film touched a nerve for me because it's played with the straightest of straight faces. All the way through, it's that strange mixture of on. there are some things in it that are, you know, laugh out loud funny, but mainly it's that kind of excruciatingly painful recognition of something that is 
it's it's absurd, but it's not quite absurdist. It's being played straight, but it it's close enough to something which you recognise as being a truth about competitiveness and rivalries and groups and uh, organisational hierarchies. That I mean, for some of it, I was wincing with recognition. I said very little laugh out loud, although there are a couple of moments that are actually laugh out loud funny, but precise and oddly savage and yet with a kind of weird streak of something approaching empathetic tenderness underneath the black comedy i liked it i thought you did oh uh, did you okay i've got an email on shivani just okay, a second in the last few minutes by the way uh, and this was hinted at in the sports bulletin about 20 minutes ago the fa have confirmed that sam allardyce is the new england football manager he has a two years contract two-year contract Details in the news and sport uh, coming up. It's probably time to watch Mike Bassett, football manager. Oh, yeah, I like one that more, film. One more time. I like that film. No, wrong. No, did you not like it? No, I did not. Like oh, sorry. I, I'm, and I will defer to your greatest judgment. No, it, no, no. Was no, it no. not funny? I, th- I did find it funny. Good. Well, you're the film critic. I am merely a host. Anyway, Sam Allardyce has been confirmed as the England manager. More on the news and sport coming up and drive time starting at four. On the subject of Chevalier, however, yes. Nick Paliocrasis says, I caught Chevalier at last year's BFI London Festival. Yeah. I absolutely loved it. Don't oh, be good, deceived good, good. by its art house trappings. This is a very entertaining and accessible movie that deserves a wide audience. Chevalier is a laugh-out-loud comedy with interesting things to say about masculinity, about social hierarchies yes. and about Greekness, though notably not <laughs> about Greece's political and economic woes. The central premise of the best-at-everything competition lends a strong narrative drive and allows director-co-writer Athena Tsangari the opportunity to develop fully her flawed but very human protagonists. Unlike Richard Linklater with similarly macho Everybody Wants Some, Tsangari doesn't let her love for the characters excuse or justify their actions. Instead, she directs with a forgiving, empathetic touch that gives the comedy and the film as a whole a poignant edge. I hope that Mark does the right thing by awarding it the Wittertainment Signet Ring, a.k.a. Movie of the Week. For me, it's a strong contender for Movie of the Year. I'll just say how... There was, there was two or three phrases in there that were almost exactly what I... But I wished you had said. No, no, which what I said. Which is what you said earlier. Exactly right. Thank you. That's right. So, uh, Nick Paleocrasis, thank you very much indeed for the email. So we'll wait um, to find out what is going to be movie of the week because there's at least four minutes of the show to go. What else you want to mention? Born to be Blue. Um, recently, we had Miles Ahead, which was that sort of adventurous, if not wholly successful, non uh, biopic of Miles Davis. Now we have um, this, which is. There is a there's a documentary about Chet Baker, which I think we reviewed here on the show called uh, Let's Get Lost um, some time ago. This is a sort of dramatic reimagining of a period in his life. Chet Baker, of course, famously a, a jazz trumpet player and singer accidentally because what happened was... I mean, let's do the film. So the film uh, basically flashes backwards and forwards, but largely is about the period round about 1966 in which Baker, played by Ethan Hawke, who is also uh, the co-producer... Um, is, uh, you know, a, an extraordinary trumpet player, but is falling into addiction. 
Uh, he gets beaten up uh, savagely and his mouth is very, very badly damaged, which appears to prevent the possibility of him continuing being a trumpet player. Uh, there is a composite character, Carmen Jager, who plays the. Uh, who we first meet playing the women in his life in an imagined biopic of his life in which he plays himself and who then becomes the woman hey. in his life. Yeah, here's a clip. You're gonna kill yourself because you can't play trumpet anymore? Yes. Am I supposed to feel sorry for you? Play something else. Sing. Maybe we haven't been introduced. My name is Chet Baker. I'm one of the greatest trumpet players of my generation one of the best jazz improvisationalists so it's trumpet or nothing yes so maybe I should kill myself too I don't look like Vivian Lee you should find one thing and be better at it than now anybody else for you to say, in the whole well, I'm blessed world with a rare gift have some humility you're it's missing love. the point you ever been in love chat huh I've been married twice yeah I played those women I didn't feel real love you want to feel real love? You want to? The way the film has been described, and you can tell a lot of, about the tone of it from the from the sort of the tone of those that interaction. You know, it has this sort of laid back, slightly jazzy feel. The way it's been described is um, that it's an anti biopic, which uh, basically takes the chord structure of the Chet Baker story and then improvises a jazz riff over the top of it, which of course actually was something which is not massively dissimilar to what was said about the, uh, about Mars Ahead, the Don Cheadle film. I was surprised by how well this worked because I, I, I don't know a huge amount about Chet Baker. I know the same, same as everybody else. I know the trumpet performances that I like and I know some of the mythology, but that's it. And what I thought this, and if you want to know the facts, then go and, you know, watch a documentary what I thought this managed to do was to to take the story and to tell it in a way which was it managed to get you inside the head of the character. It managed to work well with the music. It has some uh, lovely recreations. I thought it, it was clearly a, a sort of a passion project for Ethan Hawke, who I thought was genuinely really good in it. And most importantly, despite the fact that the, you know there was this, there's this ambiguity about you know fact and fiction and you know what it takes to be to be real in the in the sort of factual sense and what it takes to be real in the imaginative sense, you never thought whilst watching it, oh, this is you know I'm I have a problem with the with the semi-factual semi-fictional nature. What he actually thought was this is telling this story in a way which is engaging, and gives you some insight into that character. It's also made with an absolute love of the music and uh, and, and made by people who genuinely seem to care about the subject. I was, I was surprised by how effective I found it because, believe me, I had gone into it being slightly suspicious of it. This has been a Something Else production for BBC Radio 5 Live. Next week, we're off. Do you know that? I did know that, yeah. Edith Bowman and Robbie Collin are going to be here. Very jealous. The A-team. Ellen DeGeneres is going to be their special guest. Oh, wow. She is... For Nemo. Talking about Finding Dory. Dory, yeah. So, movie of the week. Well, it's the BFG. Hey, you! Don't watch that. Watch this. This is the heavy, heavy monster sound. Star Trek Beyond!
They they really missed the train. They did, you know. They well, should have. Can we? I know it's late, but can we have Star Trek in Across the Universe only going backwards because we can't find reverse or whatever it is? I love that. Well, you know, and that I, that was a record that was put together by the firm, who also oh, remember Arthur Daly is all right, all right, Arthur, yeah, yeah, on, which was Tony Thorpe. Who was in the famously Rubettes. not in the Rubettes? He was the guitarist of the Rubettes. He was the Rubettes. And in the Rubettes, then the Rubettes, the Rubettes, not was, the Rubettes. He was in the Rubettes. The Rubettes. What does that mean? It's like a, not even a word. I'm just thinking how much money they could have saved on Star Trek Beyond if only they'd just been Madness fans, because it would have been. Imagine they if should it have finished had that. With this. They should have had that as the opening music. Anyway, Chris Pollard in Edinburgh made that. Um, Suggestion and very good too. Very good. Just on, I just uh, just want yes. to mention this. Go ahead about ghost. Mention away. Okay. Uh, mention away. Uh, Any little problems and I'll do my best to solve them. You know me, me and my magic moustache. Go on. No, I'm done now. What was that then? It was Doodle and the Blue Cat. What do you think it was? I've got no idea. Because mm. it's the world's most boring film. So I it's erased. Mm. Says you. Memory. Yes, that's right. Greetings uh-huh. from the middle of a soybean field just outside of tiny New Palestine in Indiana. Now, that's going to grab your attention, isn't it? Wow. Kate B says, I'm generally an NCG, but decided to go and see Ghostbusters with two lady friends on a recent mum's night out. When I heard they were remaking it, I was underwhelmed by the idea of yet another remake of a classic movie. I loved the cast and director, but wanted an original story. Slowly, I warmed up to the idea of it, mostly due to the main cast. I was hoping for some laughs, but feared it would fall short, as I felt after hearing much hype about Bridesmaids, it just didn't seem to hit my funny bone. Oh, I'm surprised by that. In a way that it hit everyone else's. Oh, okay. But Ghostbusters seemed a perfect choice for a mum's night out. None of the three of us had a lot of history with the originals, which may have changed our perception. We all laughed loudly throughout the whole movie. It definitely passed the six-laugh test during the opening scene. I didn't feel that it slowed down mid-movie, and I enjoyed it immensely. Looking forward to seeing uh, what they all come up with next. Have you seen it yet? I have not seen it. The opening scene is really funny. There is, I think, in a way, that was the problem, was that the opening scene was so funny they found it hard to, to follow up on that. But... Uh, uh, Peter Munro, thank you very much indeed for your email. We appreciate you getting in touch with us. Um, what did you want to do? Should we do DVD of the week, or are we not at that point just yet? Um, yeah, we can. Do, I can. There's another film to review, if that's all right. Well, we, do, yes, you go ahead. Is that? Am I allowed to do that? Well, your name's on the Radio Times billing. Yeah, I know, but that means so little nowadays. So, um, Ming of Harlem, uh, Twenty One Stories in the Air. So this is a, a very peculiar. It's not a documentary, it's a sort of dramatisation. I mean, again, we're in that sort of strange, uncanny valley between fact and fiction. Uh, Antoine Yates, who lived in his apartment on the 21st floor um, of a block in Harlem, one day called the police because he had a tiger wrapped around his leg and the tiger wouldn't let go. Exactly that look on on your face is exactly the point. The uh, the emergency services arrived and removed from his apartment a tiger and an alligator called Al, which were living in the apartment. Now, this story passed me by completely. Uh, and I knew nothing about it at all, to the point that I just wondered whether... I wondered about the truth of it. Um, So in the uh, the film, what happens is that we see... um, Antoine travelling uh, back to Harlem, travelling round in a in a in a car, looking at the old haunts, and then 
In a bizarre recreation, we see a tiger prowling around an apartment with very sort of well-poised cameras that initially make you think, sorry, is this is this home video footage of the of the thing is this is this real because actually what it is is a dramatized reconstruction in which they have built the the apartment through which a tiger wanders in a state of sort of uh, anxious boredom uh, and this sequence goes on for about 20 minutes of the animal walking from the bathroom to the bedroom spraying the walls sitting down getting up i mean quite quite distressing in as much as uh, you know the idea of this animal, you know, being trapped in this apartment, and then we have uh, interviews with uh, Antoine in which he talks about the bond that he had between uh, him and the uh, and the animals, and how much he loved them. That he had the the, uh, the the tiger as a cub, and that he raised it from a cub. That he had the alligator from a hatchling, and that he you know he raised it in this area. So it's a very troubling piece, not least because it leaves you with more questions than it uh, than it answers that's that's obviously clearly deliberately the intention um you know it's a film in which it uh, nods towards you know Jacques Derrida and poetry is recited and eerie music is played and it works almost like an art installation so clearly that rather than being a documentary i mean this may be shallowness on my part, but I ended up want just wanting harder answers to the questions about you know what happened to the what happened to the animals, what exactly was the state of what that apartment was like, how did this situation you know originate? Um, whilst the story itself is you know obviously one of those kind of you know strange but true stories, I did find myself just wanting hard news reportage rather than something which was midway between an art installation and a documentary that's not to say that the film is not adventurous and uh an enigmatic and uh attempting to find a language with which to discuss the subject which also addresses larger themes of of animal language of you know what animal communication is of what their own what what the animals experience of this must have been like i confess it didn't work for me i found it frustrating but i also confess that that may be a problem of shallowness on my part i actually really just wanted more facts and less poetry you're not shallow mark no i know i think there are there are I'm, i'm not saying this as a sort of I mean, I'm saying quite genuinely, it, the, the shortcoming may be mine rather than the films, but I can only be honest and tell you that for me, I found it a frustrating experience, even whilst I was able to admire to some extent the 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 technical artistry of what was, they were trying to do. I did find it frustrating, and it it didn't it alienated me, and I didn't get inside it, and it didn't win me over in the way that I know it has done some other people. Kelsey, who's in Madison, Wisconsin. Yes. Dear Doctors, Simon laughing during the DVD of the week music is hilarious. It's not creepy. It's one of the best parts of the podcast. Yeah. Okay, very good. DVD of the week then. Okay. No, that is really creepy. That's it's hot, really, hot, hot really this week. Creepy. If you live miles away from the nearest beach, why not create your own seaside haven by grinding down your ever-expanding DVD collection into tiny sand-like grains? 
dumping it in your garden, spreading out a towel and kicking back with a few pina coladas. Weird, I know. Or failing that, some room temperature creme de menthe left over from Christmas. You'll need a lot of DVDs, though, so which one would you add and which one will Mark recommend? Keith Fraser says, huh, oldie choice. Does he say, uh, like that? Yeah. Oldie choice, poor cow. New release choice, Zootropolis. Shout out to great film I've already seen, Dr. Strangelove. James Addison says, the DVD I'm going to personally seek out is Mirror. Uh, as the great Andre Tarkovsky is getting his back catalogue reissued at the moment, think the good doctor will be deciding between Poor Cow and Zootropolis. Uh, Harry T. Dyer, surely Mark will pick Anomalisa. On an entirely unrelated note, did you know that cinema is just a series of still images put together to create the illusion of movement? Did you know that? I didn't, but now that you say it... Nadim Razvi says, Zootropolis, Strangelove. Zootropolis, Strangelove. Zootropolis, Strangelove. The doc will go for Zootropolis or Strangelove. No, Zootropolis. Oh, or I Strangelove. don't know. What is our DVD of the week? I am going to go for Zootropolis. And the, the, the reason is for... Strangelove? No, Strangelove is brilliant, but I'm going for Zootropolis. I have to choose one of the two of them. Zootropolis? And I'm going to go... Zootropolis. Anomalisa? No, no, it's no, not. Zoot- Anomalisa is your, what, why, is no, your DVD no, of the week, isn't no, it? No, I'm not. Simon, tell me why you loved Anomalisa. Well, it's just somehow got to the heart of the human condition, uh, and it was like a series of still images put together to create the illusion of movement, and they're welcome. the makers of that film are welcome back any time. Great. Um, why Zoot- did you like it? I like the fact that it was a series of still images. Yeah, and what did they sort of mean to you? Well... They were still, but when they were put together, they created the illusion yeah. of movement. I think that's right, actually. I think you've I think you've made a good point. So maybe I'm going to watch it all. No, I don't think I will watch it again. Anyway, you were saying Zootropolis, yes, or Zootopia, depending on which territory you're you're watching it in. I loved it because, firstly, just on, a, on an animation level, it's a joy. The creation of the city in which all these different animals, whether they're big or small, live together is fantastically rendered. Secondly, it's a film which has got a really, really clear message about tolerance and understanding and little people. Why can't we all just live together? Why can't the why, why, why can't we? Why can't, why can't, we? can't we? And I have to say, at the particular moment that we are in... In terms of what moment is that then? It, this particular this moment, moment yeah. that we are in, I think that is a message that more than ever needs to be trumpeted by a movie like Zootropolis. Don't say trumpeted. Oh yeah, actually, drumped, drumped. Uh, 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 from the you know from because it's I think because I believe in it. I love the film. I thought it was you know a great animation with a smart story, well told, and a message that we can all take home, which is let's ju- you know which is to quote Nick Lowe. What's so funny about peace, love, and understanding? Why can't we all live? So, so there's the and and Wittertainment has the answer. How do we get to live together in love and peace? We, we just live, live together, together in, in love, love and, and peace. peace. There you go, sorted. Can we have Star Trek in now? Okay, <laughs> there it is. How about that? Sounds like it was planned. And I'm prepared. so happy. Two, three, four. No. Five, six, eight, and ten. Star trekking across the universe. On the Starship Enterprise. I'm the Captain Kirk. Star trekking across the universe. Slowly going forward. We can't find reverse. Two, three, four. Mayor's Klingon's on the 
on the starboard bow, starboard bow, starboard bow. There's playgrounds on the starboard bow. Did you know you got the ninth best-selling single in 1987? I'm so pleased. That must have been a great year. Do you know that it was connected to the, the Rivets? Yeah. Well, don't 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 break it down. The funny stuff's coming. We have to talk every few seconds. Sorry about that. I'm just going to sing along. It's worse than that he's dead, Jim, dead, Jim, dead, Jim. It's worse than that he's dead, Jim, dead, Jim, dead. It's life, Jim, but not as we know it. Not as we know it. Not as we know it. It's life, Jim, but not as we know it. And put your watch away. I just need to stretch. Just stretching a little, fiddling with my watch. We come in peace, shoot to kill, shoot to kill, shoot to kill. That's actually the less funny of them. And put your watch away. Still funny. Trekking across the universe. A little dodgy mate. Another one, is there? Underneath, he's alright. Is there another one? He's the laws of physics. He's the laws of physics. Simon Pegg. Jim! Okay, I think this has delighted us enough now. Yes. It's a little dodgy, maybe. Oh, all right. All right, my son. I'm all leave it out. No bother. As it happens, it's your shout straight up. Pull the other right to an eight. Who's your mate? Gives you in a bunny with a trilby hat and the but he ain't all that. Arthur Daly, a little dodgy, maybe. But underneath, he's all right. He's Arthur. So that's how it goes, isn't it? See you in a few weeks. On digital and online. This is BBC Radio 5 Live. bbc.co.uk slash 5 Live.